That's a scene from Batman Mask of the Phantasm, a Batman animated feature that was made in 1993, and Roger and I never reviewed it, and as far as I'm concerned, we made a big mistake, because it's terrific. I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of May 2022, and uh, this time around we're going to be doing a very special event month that we are calling Masterclass Revisited. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, during our anniversary month, I believe that's September, September yeah. Uh, we have a tradition, an annual tradition, of doing something we call a masterclass, wherein we take a look at a uh, multi-generational, like multimedia franchise property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in years past, we've co- we've covered uh, the Indiana Jones films, uh, we've covered Batman, mm-hmm. uh, which is largely what we're going to be revisiting this month. But yes. um, over the course of doing those masterclasses, uh, we only have four to five Tuesdays a month to do episodes, so inevitably there's there's going to be some leftovers. There's going to be some movies here and there that just we don't have time to talk about. So mm-hmm. we're taking this May uh, to kind of talk about the movies that were left behind, to, to go back and revisit uh, Masterclass's past. Uh, so today uh, we're going to be revisiting the Batman franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, more specifically, uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993, mm-hmm. uh, which is the only... Batman animated film I believe we'll be talking about uh, yes. ever. <laughs> um, I, I do know that uh, the Killing Joke adaptation did receive a very limited theatrical release, oh, really? so I guess that does count as another uh, animated Batman film as well as Lego Batman. However, I, I just do not have the energy or the time at the moment to, to build up the willpower to, to dive into either of those. No. Uh, especially Killing Joke, actually, because I've heard I've heard decent things about Lego Batman. I've heard it's a lot of fun. Uh, but Killing Joke, holy fucking shit. I've heard that is wrong-headed in the extreme. Yeah. As soon as I heard that was announced, like, I'm I'm very well-versed in Batman comics. I've, I've read a book or two. Um, that That is not a, a graphic novel or a comic that should be a, adapted to animation, especially on a low budget. It's like, if you're going to do this shit, you better do it fucking right. And just by looking at some still shots and like a few frames of it, I was like, nah, they, they didn't bring their A game. Fuck this noise. Um, just so you know, folks, that we will be covering the Batman from 2020, whenever the fuck. Uh, <laughs> whenever, it was, whenever it was shot, filmed, released, I'm not even sure. That's like five years, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, in between the uh, the COVID delay for that film, yeah. uh, it it is kind of difficult to to wrap your head around exactly when it came out. I believe it was uh, March of twenty twenty two. Okay. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, it it was one of those things that was just kind of like floating around there in the periphery, like over the past couple of years, where it's like, did that happen? Is that a yeah. thing? It's like, oh, it did happen, <laughs> and now the Blu Ray's coming out like 
literally this month. Yeah. So it's like, wow, things move way too fucking fast now, yeah. or not at all. <laughs> yeah. So you're warned, if you want to listen to that, it will be full spoilers, so you probably do want to get that, uh, catch it on HBO Max before next before the next episode. Yeah, thanks for that PSA, Kyle, because yes, we, we, if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, we, we do full spoilers. Full spoilers, yeah. yeah. So, uh, The Batman, Matt Reeves, uh, his his the Batman will be covered next week. Yeah, um, all three fucking hours of it. Oh, right. <laughs> um, however, I, I'm actually kind of leery about like doing like a, a full blown an- an- analysis of I don't, it. <laughs> I don't think we can. It will be a five hour episode. Well, not only that, it's like it's fucking fresh. Yeah. Um, all the other movies we've been talking about, we've been able to do it in a retrospective fashion, mm-hmm. which has led to a different lanes of conversation that simply aren't available to us at the moment because. Uh, you know, until that Blu-ray comes out at the end of the month, um, we don't even have access to like a making of. Uh, all we really have are actor and director interviews to work from, and then the movie itself. Yeah. So, um, with that being said, that's next week. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Batman: Mask of the Phantasm from 1993, which I guess you could say is directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim. Uh, this is an animated feature, so any number of hands touched it a lot of creative voices were involved in the production of this however those two are assigned a director's credit um this is of course a warner brothers animation production mm-hmm. um and being as this is a master class episode um i'm gonna do my best to adhere to the format that uh, i believe kyle engineered mm. uh, when we talked about batman <clears throat> previous uh, kyle actually drafted a series of bullet points that i found <laughs> very very helpful in guiding our conversation so instead of talking about the movie front to back like we often do Mm -hmm. um we're going to be adhering to this really nifty list that kyle put together so i believe the first item on that list is our personal history with with the product in question or the franchise yeah so i'm actually excited to uh, mention this i am not much of a comic book guy uh just it's just never we never had that outlet. We didn't have like a close comic book store or even the money to, to get into comic books. But when we did get a hold of them, it was super exciting. Uh, and this movie has, a, I guess, a graphic novelization of the film. Or was it a graphic novel first and became a film? I'm not really sure. Uh, they made an adaptation of it for like a comic. Like, okay. So this, this movie is an original story. Okay. Um, that was all the material therein is an original idea but yes they did make a comic version of the movie so we had this comic oh wow uh, yes we Holy had shit. we had this comic uh and this the these two taught me how to read comic books the this is what i learned like how a story actually kind of plays out in a comic um like flashback um like who's talking like um characters moving into the next scene kind of thing um, and I actually see I saw this much later than I actually had the comic book. I, I knew this comic book front to back basically. So when I got to the movie, I'm like, it's exactly the same. It's the exact same thing. Um, but yet uh, my brother and I, I think Nick probably remembers uh, reading this one too. We we had it for quite a while. I wish I still had it. I'd like to find it. Um, but I definitely gave a much darker voice to the Phantasm <laughs> when I was reading it because it was spooky in in the comic. Uh, it was very it was a scary character for uh, for Batman because. At this point, we had, by the time that we got this and had seen the movie, we had had the campy Schumacher Batman, so Batman was a lot of fun, and this was actually darker than those. 
Yes, by far. Mm -hmm. um, but wow, that's that's incredible that you you experienced both the film and the comic. Yeah. Like, like I'm rarely, if ever, actually, probably this is the only time I'm going to be on both sides. Wow, that's super awesome, man. <laughs> um, and not to completely derail us, but I'm just curious, um, Kyle. You are known to do some etchings, some drawings yes. every once in a while. Have Have you ever? taken a stab at comic art before or sequential art at the very least funny you mentioned that um <laughs> when pokemon came out in america <laughs> when i was like in the third grade a buddy of mine like we were both drawers and he was really into pokemon and we would do we would like draw in that animation style i was not very good at it he was much better especially for a third grader he was very good at it but he would have like the comic book like the the point like the he would come up with the comic book like just on a piece of lined paper like the different, what do you call it? Just the different boxes and uh, squares. Panels. The different panels, yes, thank you. Uh, and we draw into that. Um, but he, so you were actually talking about this. He did like the Pikachu and the guy with the hat or whatever. Uh, and then I would do letters. <laughs> I would actually do the, the, the boxes because I it wasn't, that animation style wasn't very good. That wasn't good for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that you at least flirted with the idea of it at some point. It seems like something you'd actually do, you'd excel at. Wow, that's really neat. But um, for me, uh, my personal history with, I mean, Batman goes back to around 1993, actually. Um, because I was too young to see uh, Batman 1989 and uh, Batman Returns. Yeah. Uh, far too young, if, if, depending on who you ask. Uh, certainly not for my parents. They didn't give a shit about <laughs> violence and stuff. Like, we did have a uh, taped from the television copy of uh, Batman Returns that I did watch a lot. It was edited for content, barely. Barely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was too young to catch those movies in the theater. So like my my interest and my I don't know attachment to Batman came largely through Batman the animated series. But in addition to that, uh, there were also some events that were happening in the Batman comics that were very. Uh, pivotal i guess like in terms of like my involvement and interest in comic books in general like my brother actually got like a limited subscription to dc and marvel um and just so happened that around like 93 94 was when dc was like really making some serious moves to try like a marketing blitz that was when they killed superman mm. that was when they broke batman's back that was like a, a year or two later that's when they made the green lantern into a bad guy like, that's when they were doing all sorts of crazy horse shit as, like, a marketing stunt, basically. And it all got kicked off by the killing of Superman. And so the way they translated that to the Batman property was to introduce the character of Bane and then have him break Batman's back. So they didn't kill him outright, but they, they broke the bat. Um, and I remember being enamored with that particular storyline. Oh, Which, so Bane and Tamagotchi are like the same age. Yeah. yeah so ba Bane is an old is as old as Tamagotchi. They're contemporaries. Yeah. <laughs> They're contemporaries. They they go to the same high school reunions. I'd say Tamagotchi was about ninety six, ninety seven, but I feel like it was probably already in Japan at that time. So, but yeah, they're contemporaries. Okay. Same. I'm picturing Tamagotchi as like the big man on campus that pushed Bane around and got him to hit the gym. Dude, Tamagotchi were a that you you were everybody had one. Everybody had one. Oh yeah, Mr. Steelio Gal. Um, but but yeah, uh, Bane and and the breaking of the bat around ninety three ninety four was was what got me into comics. And it just so happened that the animated series came out around the exact same time. So I was like very primed and ready to be all sorts of obsessed with Batman. And it just so happened that when this movie came out, um, I was one of the lucky few to actually go fucking see this thing in the theater. Nice. Um, 
spooky. Not even Siskel and Ebert can make that claim. Oh, really? Yes. Actually, I may actually post audio. Well, they can't make any claims. Yeah, well, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they both got some problems, yeah. some eternal problems that you, know, you can't really walk back. Breathing <laughs> problems. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we, we love both of them. They're yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> they have their moments. They have their moments. There's more, including the Joker, who, frankly, was better when Jack Nicholson played him in the first movie or Cesar Romero in the cartoon show on TV. I don't like this Joker's voice. Um, I, like I said, I may actually post audio from an episode that they did where they actually apologized on the air for having skipped Batman Mask of the Phantasm. They came back to it a year later around the time Batman Forever was in theaters, and they said, oh, this movie's way better than that. <laughs> but we didn't go see it in the theater because nobody did, mm. because this movie bombed horribly at the box office. We made a big mistake because it's terrific. Such a shame. Um, but I do have concrete memories of going to the theater. I think with my brother and maybe my cousin, definitely my brother, so Matt, Matt took me, I think. Um, and I remember it distinctly because I got fucking terrified of the graveyard scene. Yeah. There are many graveyard scenes in this movie, by the yeah. way, but specifically the one where the angel statue falls on the fat man. Yeah. Um, that scared the shit out of me. That's maybe the only time I remember putting my hand, like my face in my lap mm. when I was in a theater. Like I, I, I wasn't cognizant. I don't remember this, but my parents told me that both my brother and I freaked out and threw, like went into a screaming fit when they tried to take us to see E.T. Oh, but I was like a baby. So I, I have no memory of that, but I have distinct memories of being in the theater, watching this movie and covering my eyes. Elliot meeting E.T. is one of the most terrifying scenes in cinema. That fucking noise! It's... Yeah, moving. the skittering. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah, and then the fucking glowing, translucent chest. Yeah. yeah. The movie's fucking Spielberg, Spielberg, man. Spielberg is a master of horror. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't even try to be. Yeah. <laughs> There's a picturing Spielberg running, like, behind the camera of all his films, just be like, <laughs> this will show him. He needs a new pair of pants. He pissed his pants again. <laughs> Get cut! <laughs> Um, but actually, uh, I can't think of a better place to insert this little factoid, but um, I think it's really fascinating that Spielberg actually does have a connection to this film. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah. He was the, wasn't he the genius behind Animaniacs? I mean, that's where the connection comes from. Yeah. Is that he was kind of responsible for, like, injecting new life into Warner Brothers animation. They were kind of in the dumpster at the time. Like, they weren't doing shit. Like, animation for, for kids' entertainment at the time was kind of just like heavily commercialized it was just transformers he-man all the hanna-barbera shit where they're animating the the above the shoulder action and the below the shoulder action independent of each other it was all it was all done on the cheap and it was all very vapid very commercialized not very depthful stuff but then spielberg approached warner brothers in the early 90s and kind of injected new life into them and more specifically capital Mm. Um, which resulted in Tiny Toon Adventures and later on Animaniacs. And it was through like the rebuilding of the animation division of Warner Brothers that those resources came about and were made available to the people who would go on to make Batman the Animated Series. Interesting. So Spielberg <laughs> kind of paved the road for them. <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, we were uh, in our, our mom's house. We would. Oh, we were Nickelodeon. I was a Nickelodeon guy. Nick was more Cartoon Network. Um, but at our dad's, because we didn't have cable, we watched Animaniacs. We watched Batman the Animated Series and uh, Tiny Toons. Like that was our. Those were our cartoons and Life with Louie. 
Life with Louie was fucking fantastic. It was great. Yeah. God rest his soul. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dead people. A lot of dead people in today's episode. <laughs> but yes, uh, Warner Brothers Animation, of course, was responsible for making Batman the Animated Series. Um, and more specifically, there were a, a handful of personalities in particular that kind of shepherded this property. So it's no surprise that kind of the the catalyst for the formation of this project came about as a result of the ungodly like unprecedented success of tim burton's batman films yeah so the animated series came out between the burton and the schumacher era of the film franchise so it came out uh like 92 93 around there yeah um and the two creative leads on the project were uh eric radomsky uh who as far as i understand from a concept art standpoint was largely responsible for the backgrounds and, okay. the, and the setting of Gotham itself. Um, and then Bruce Tim, who did most of the character designs, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, other artists were brought on board and given subsequent credit, like uh, Mike Mignola uh, actually designed Mr. Freeze. Mm. Um, he was given credit for that. But Bo- Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski are kind of our, our chief creative leads on the project. I think who who cast our voice actors because I think the An- Batman the animated series has some of the best voice actors because Mr. Freeze alone I forgot his name but he's fantastic but also Mark Hamill is the Joker for crying out loud yeah uh, <clears throat> Andrea Romano is the woman's name okay and holy fucking shit um, voice casting director is not like a a public facing job title yeah so she's like the one that i can point to and know by heart and by name uh she she has done incredible work over the past several decades um her contributions to that to that series and just animation as a whole are unparalleled like like spot on casting seemingly for like every fucking role imaginable mm-hmm gets a little bit things get a little bit hairy as we start to get into the the direct-to-video batman film arena that as i said kyle and i are not going to be talking about there's there's far too many of them and they're sadly of not the best quality such that i don't think there's a whole lot to be said about them but they they kind of had this habit of recasting a lot of the voices just seemingly at random like it, it just didn't feel as heartfelt i guess but for the the mainstream Batman the Animated Series, the voice cast, her work in assembling that talent was unfucking believable. Um, but in in addition to our creative leads, uh, we also have Alan Burnett as like lead producer. Um, Paul Dini, who's a very, very important name, did a lot of the he was largely in charge of writing some of the some of the finest scripts to come out of that TV series. Uh, he created the character of Harley Quinn, who's basically the most bankable fucking DC Comics character at the moment, yeah. aside from the Joker. The only bankable. <laughs> yeah, DC Comics, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's one of those things, that unless you hang out in, like, particularly nerdy circles, it's not very common to, like, run into, like, DC Comics, like, fanatics. Like, it's not like Marvel where it's, like, I guess it's more mainstream, it's more acceptable to be really, really into that shit. It's like, you gotta be, like, really underground in that shit. <laughs> Somebody needs Michael Jai White to come off the set of The Dark Knight and come in, enough with Jared Leto! Like, stop <laughs> trying to put him in a comic book movie. Yeah, stop trying to make him a thing. Stop making him a thing. We hate him. <laughs> Seriously, man. Stop it. The Joker and fucking Morbius? Morbius. Fucking Morbius. As soon as I heard that thing announced, I was like, fucking Morbius? 
Are, are you fucking serious? Like, I'd sooner expect to see a fucking Sleepwalker movie or some shit. <laughs> well, then again, I guess we did get two Ant-Man movies with a third one pending. So. <laughs> we never got that Squirrel Girl movie, though. <laughs> if we don't want to waste money, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Um, but I will point out that the uh, the animation, actually, for the animated series, um, and this is actually very standard practice, at least in American animation, I don't know if this is done like in Japan and in Korea or China, but um, basically we had like a, a working arrangement with Warner Brothers Animation serving as like the creative lead, but a lot of the man hours, men and women hours or whatever, uh, being put into the actual drawing of the animation was outsourced. No shit. That sounds American to me. Oh, <laughs> it's the most American. It's the yeah. most American of concepts. Yeah. Um, famously, the, the Simpsons was animated in South Korea. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how many animation houses were involved in that production, but uh, the list for Batman the Animated Series is substantial. Mm. So we worked, really? we worked with Spectrum and Sunrise, both from Japan. Uh, Sunrise is big fucking time. Uh, Sunrise has made some of my favorite shit. Um, they are a powerhouse. And then uh, Tokyo Movie Shinsha, which uh, animated Akira. Very, very important note, as there are shots in this movie directly like replicated <laughs> from that film. Uh, and in uh, Korea, we had Dongyang and uh, Coco Enterprises. And Acom, and then in Hong Kong we had Jade Animation, and uh, I forget where Blue Pencil is from. I think they may be Spanish, actually. And then Network of Animation from Canada. So all of those animation houses likely touched this film, Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, um, which is why sometimes there's like I don't know animation inconsistencies here and there. Although I will say this much: like in general, a lot of American productions generally have like a, a much better sense of consistency to them than some other productions you might see. Um, but yeah, the, those were the people, those were the hands that actually drafted the cells uh, for, for the production of this film. But any other uh, personal notes you'd want to share about this one? Like, like what's your, what's your uh, attachment to or your familiarity with the show, with, with Batman the Animated Series? Yeah, so this was, I, I think, we watched it almost every day it was on after school, at the babysitters or at home. Uh, it was a big deal. I've probably seen all of these at some point. I remember Harley Quinn, uh, Robin, all the different characters. I'm actually going back to it right now. <laughs> I'm very much enjoying it. Yeah, this movie has that effect. Very much. <laughs> if you liked it as a kid, definitely go back and dust it off because it's, it's very entertaining. Yeah, in fact, I'd argue it's better now that you're a little older and can appreciate all the subtleties. Yeah, um, but yeah, we, we definitely watched the show quite a bit when we were kids. Yeah, me, me too. Uh, I watched the show semi-obsessively. Mm -hmm. Like It almost, like, I remember actually being upset by how long it took for new mm -hmm. episodes to come out. Because, like, as a kid, like, time is different. Yeah. It's the weirdest fucking thing, like, going back to children's properties as an adult and realizing, like, oh, wow, that wasn't very long at all. <laughs> Like, I remember doing that with a, an episode of Transformers, like the original Generation 1 Transformers. Like, in my head, I remembered it being this whole, like, season-long saga. It was 22 minutes. Yeah. And in, in my child's brain, somehow I spread it out into, like, this huge epic. And then I rewatch it as an adult, and I'm like, like holy, holy shit, that was all that was one awesome. episode? Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, but this also primed me to go into the Schumacher Batman, like just very excited. Like they were, they, 
Batman was a big deal when I was a kid. That's probably why it's the one comic book property that I can, st- or the, the comic book character that I can still enjoy. Put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to it. Well, but, but yeah, Warner Brothers and DC have both gone to great lengths to ensure that Batman is always on all of our minds. Yes. All of the time. All the time. Um, and it's mostly good. Like it's mm-hmm. it's very seldom straight up bad. It's like seventy three percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, that's it's, pretty good. The ratio is pretty phenomenal, actually. Yeah. When you when you think about like a eighty plus year history for the character, yeah, like that's outstanding, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as for me, like I like I said, I I watched the show obsessively. In fact, I carried on with it uh, through the uh, Batman Superman Adventures era. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, didn't yeah. Get to that. There's a there's a fun little casting factoid there where. Uh, so the same animation I don't I don't know if the same animators were involved the same creative team was involved though um, would go on to do a Superman animated show which I actually have on DVD because yeah. it was like five fucking dollars yep. <laughs> money well spent yeah um, it's a I think it's quite good actually I think it actually had a similar effect to the the effect of Batman the animated series where it kind of streamlined the the history and the the lore for the character to make it much more approachable and just inarguably just better in a lot of ways like a lot of the characters were simplified and modernized to make more sense in a contemporary setting um and more importantly they gave superman more things to punch Mm. which is often a problem in the comics and especially in those fucking movies where it's like like superman returns is superman lifts progressively heavier things the motion picture um, that's I'm sorry. That's just not terribly interesting to me. I, I need him to punch something like like, and that show supplied that, and it made it very very entertaining for me. Um, but around the time they were doing the Superman show, it was only natural that hey, Batman technically hasn't really concluded. Why don't we do a Why don't we do a Peter Butter and Chocolate with this shit? Why don't we do World's Finest? Why don't we merge Batman and Superman? Um, and that kind of resulted in a this weird stretch of the Batman series where uh, they applied the Superman art design, the aesthetic to the Batman, the animated series. And I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that that's the uglier seasons of that show. <laughs> like the, the earlier animation style, the earlier character templates, I think are much more appealing, much more distinct. Um, but I carried on with the show, and I think where I dropped off was I, I did watch a shit ton of Batman Beyond until it got bad, which mm. is around this. Okay, not a shit ton because I think I dropped out after the first season, <laughs> <laughs> first season or two. Um, I watched a lot of Batman Beyond, and I tapped out when they started doing Justice League. Mm. Like I was like enough. Like I kind of got to where I'm at with like the MCU stuff, where it's like, oh god, there's too much of this shit. I, I know deep down I can't possibly keep up with all this, so I'm just going to stop trying. <laughs> so, so I carried on for a few years. Um, and long story short, uh, Batman the Animated Series is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's absolutely groundbreaking. Uh, its contribution is still felt to this day. There's so many characters that were basically created like from the ground up for that show that that interpretation of the character is the one that persists in the mainstream to this day. Like I said, it's it's contributions to both the world of animation, children's entertainment, comic books, the character of Batman himself, immeasurable. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to say, people in our relative age range, this was the fucking thing that we all think of when we think of Batman. 
Yeah, I mean, that and Batman Forever. Usually when people say Batman, I just go to Jim Carrey. Because <laughs> <laughs> most of my childhood was Jim Carrey. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I, I was actually listening to our episode on Batman Forever just the other day. Excellent episode. You should definitely check it out, dear listener. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Kyle talked at length about Jim Carrey just being the shit yeah. um, in the mid-90s. You couldn't... Yeah, I, I found out what crying laughing was because of him. <laughs> like that's how hard he made us laugh. Yeah, no, he was he dominated that film. Like you and I did get a very good conversation out of that. We didn't just talk about Jim Carrey, but that movie, like let's face it, is mostly Jim Carrey. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and thankfully, that's not really the case with this film. No, like this is this is. Well, actually, he's not even in this. So yeah, it, I mean, I'm sure he was like <laughs> scratching at the walls or like tapping on the glass, and they're just like, who let him in there? He was. I don't even think he was talking out of his ass yet when this came out. No. <laughs> holy shit like that was probably a couple years off yeah Yeah, just a couple i think uh i think that's all i had to say about like my personal history with the franchise but what's our next bullet point there i guess we could just give a real quick plot down of the mask of the phantasm um so one thing i wanted to ask you about was where does this come in with the animated series because the animated series started in 1992 and i mean this is the same batman like this is the same character um it's all the same so were you supposed to just go into this because you could almost use this as an origin story. Like, you don't even have to really know the animated series because this is the Joker's, a little bit of the Joker and Batman's origin story. Yeah, uh, as far as I understand, this uh, this did what a lot of animated properties do when they inevitably head to theaters. This is, this is an honor that's seldom bestowed upon children's entertainment, but mm. it, it does happen. Like Transformers, for instance, they got an animated movie. And I actually have a theory that, like, Oftentimes it's a sign of decline, <laughs> where it's like when the cartoon show ends up in the theater is when it starts to get bad. Yeah. I don't think that was the case with Batman the Animated Series, or at least it didn't feel like it. I'd have, I'd have to go back. It's funny, because something I've talked about with like my girlfriend and like friends before is like watching like 90s sitcoms today via streaming service. Like I tried to explain to them that it's like you need to understand... like. A lot of us just saw these shows growing up just in syndication. Yeah. You just turned on... Jump in. You you turned to the channel during that time slot, and it was a fucking dice roll. Mm -hmm. It could be Seinfeld with the mullet. It could be Seinfeld with the short mullet. It could be be Kramer in the bathrobe. Yeah. You never know which Kramer is going to show up. It could be Kramer with the bathrobe, or it could be Kramer with the tall hair. You you never fucking... It could be the one with with Jerry's old actor as the dad. Um, <laughs> it's like there were two different actors who played his dad in Seinfeld. If Jerry Stiller, if you're watching Seinfeld and Jerry Stiller's on there, just go ahead and watch it. It's going to be yeah, a good just, episode. Just sit tight. You'll be fine. It's going to be great. You're in good company. Yeah. But like that was my experience with a lot of Batman the Same. animated series. Yeah. You just, just, it's just an episode. Well, and it was so beautifully introduced, too, because they had those title cards. Mm-hmm. for Like they had a title and a title card, like, like an old-fashioned serial or like a film from the 40s or something, which very much fits the aesthetic of the show. And as soon as you saw that image and that little melody that would play, yes. you knew what the vibe of the episode was going to be. I had a physiological reaction when I started it again because it all came, it just came screaming yeah, back. I got goosebumps. Yeah, I got goosebumps. I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember being a kid and this just lighting up my whole body being so excited that it was on. Yeah, such is the power of Batman the Animated Series. It's pretty fucking incredible. I think the only way you can get that now is in, as an adult is when somebody pulls out cocaine. You're just like, oh. <laughs> 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 oh, but um, going back to what you had asked about 
um, where the show kind of, where the movie kind of fits in with the series. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting because like it's really important to remember that this movie came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the origin, like the origin story, like visually represented, um, I can't think of other instances prior to this where we saw it full like we don't get as fleshed out as we see it here we learn that he has his parents passed away there's some kind of something something related to a crime we don't necessarily find out how they die but we just know they are dead we find out that he has decided to install instill fear into criminals um but i don't think it's ever covered in the actual series they might allude to it from from like maybe like an episode or two like he might have like a like see a picture of his parents or something like that but this is like the first time i think we're given like the the actual origin i think i think it's i think that's true for film anyway Mm -hmm. because like let's let's retrace our steps so batman 89 i mean we know there's an adam west batman from 66 it's the reason why we don't cover it folks is because it has nothing to do other than like the ip like the 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 characters themselves the only thing you're taking from it the Batman is completely different and every Batman we've had since 89 has been that 89 Batman it's a gruff billionaire the old one has nothing to do with what we watch now very succinct thank you for doing the hard work of <laughs> spelling it out to the listener yeah. uh, Patreon folks yeah. <laughs> if we get to a point where we have a Patreon yeah. you can fucking pay us you can pay us to go on there <laughs> and talk about that but that's how it will happen that is how that will happen <laughs> we gotta will, open your wallet. <laughs> we will both watch stupid shit, but that is that's that's tougher. <laughs> that's a new brand of stupid. Nothing against Adam West. Nothing. No, against no. Him. Adam West is fantastic. Nothing Love against Adam West. Love his voice. But, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Lovely singing voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Batman eighty nine. So Adam West Batman. We know it exists. We're not mm-hmm. talking about Batman eighty nine. We have the flashback sequence for young Bruce. And Jack Napier, our co ex co worker, purely purely a product of that film. Jack Napier, yes, yes, our ex co worker. We we used to work with a guy who looks a lot like the actor who played young Jack. In that. Shockingly, yes. shockingly, <laughs> he's not listening. We could give his full full. Name. I mean, we totally could. He's he he he's gives he gives zero fucks about <laughs> us. <laughs> I hope he's doing well. Yeah, me uh, too. He was a cool guy. He's cool. <laughs> he gives no fucks about us, yeah. though. Um, but um, flashback sequence where young Bruce gets bears witness to his parents being gunned down by Jack Napier. Yeah. Beyond that, no training, no mission statement. It's just, boom, Michael Keaton. Yeah. Batsuit. Um, Batman Returns. I think he talks about it, maybe. Briefly, yeah. It's never visually represented in the film to any extent. Like... I'm talking about his origin with the gunning down of his parents as well as the idea of him becoming a bat man. It, it's only to parallel the penguin. They were both wealthy kids who lost their parents at yes. a young age. Yes. Yeah. Which brings us to this film. Yeah. Where for the first time in a motion picture, uh, we actually get to see Bruce Wayne formulate a plan like post killing of his parents. Yeah. Like we actually have him talking about it, like kind of like seeking counsel with Alfred about like is, is is this a good idea? Am I doing the right thing? Should I become a Batman? I want to take a pit stop real quick and talk about the like the things that we watched as kids. Like there's a big thing like nostalgia for our generation. We were like oh the '90s were great. The '90s were great. This is one of the reasons why the '90s were great was because we were kids, but 
we had movies and television shows that they didn't really treat us like kids. We were given kind of adult themes. Like, I actually recently watched Harriet the Spy. I don't know if you were a Nickelodeon kid. I um, was, but no, that was a little late for me. Okay, so they, what Nickelodeon was doing was they would have, like, Adventures of Pete and Pete. Like, these were kids. I love that show. And it was so great. Yeah, yeah like, we'd have these kids' shows, but it was a little more mature for, like, our age group. Uh, we weren't coddled as much. And this movie very much is that like it this is we're not really coddling as much we're we're not diving deep into some of the themes but we're gonna we're gonna scratch the surface on some of them and death is definitely one of them in this i'm really glad you brought that up because i there was a point that i was gonna make that got lost in here okay (laughs) so um that basically just has to do with the culture of the day Mm. um and how i what i was talking about uh about the animation industry at this point in history so through the 60s 70s 80s like I said, animation was thought of as a kid's thing, and all the products that were being put out, especially during those Reagan years, were <laughs> specifically tailored to sell kids to me and my brother. Basically, I'm gonna quote. I'm gonna quote Jack Napier on this. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's been Brian Brandex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Antoine got a little hot under the collar. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you're dead. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good one. That is my favorite favorite quote from that movie. Ah, uh, it's so good. It's really. Good. <laughs> but we will. We're, we're going to stick away. We're going to stay away from the Jack Nicholson Joker yes. because this Joker demands yeah. our respect. Yes, we'll, we will clear the floor for that. Yes, but but yes, the 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 culture of animation was in an interesting space because, as I said, Warner Brothers Animation, a historic like like landmark in terms of the animation world was newly revamped like they had this injection of new talent and capital two major things that that brought on a sea change in the animation industry and part of that just simply had to do with like the creative the talent rolling over so all the old timers were were kind of being ushered out the door um and the the new kids were kind of coming into the fore and there was a new trend where the sensors were starting to lighten up where there was there were certain concepts and ideas that had this project been attempted in the 80s or in the 70s it would have been rejected outright because batman and superman had cartoons during those decades Mm -hmm. they were called the fucking super friends (laughs) and they were fucking lame because they weren't around they weren't allowed to even close their fists and punch anyway that was like that was the censors would have dictated no you yeah. you can't hit that guy yeah the batman batman the animated series was like a finger in the ass during a bj it's like we're gonna throw a twist on a classic here yeah yeah and a lot of that had to do with the censors being open to to new ideas yeah. like that yeah perfect yeah. <laughs> like a finger in the ass are you open to new things what <laughs> <laughs> well let's give it a whirl well i'm into that <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck do we go from there? Yeah, the plot rundown. So yeah, we, we were we were we, we were, were trying to do that. We were warming up for yeah. the uh, the plot rundown. So what happens in this film is that Batman um, is has bec- is Batmaning, but we also learn that he became Batman partially because of a love interest uh, who kind of comes back into his life uh, at this point, and he has to track down this killer of mob bosses which i mean by boondock saints logic i don't think they should be trying to do anything about that um you're, you're just a, a, a true 
right vigilante, but everyone thinks that it's Batman, so he's got to he's got to put the ki- ki- I don't know if you can say that. You got to stop this. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle meant to say he's just trying to put the kibosh, the kibosh on. I'm like, trying to put that? the kibosh on that phantasm. <laughs> I don't know. Am I allowed to say that one anymore? I can't. I don't even remember. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I said it. Whatever. Yeah, it's too late now. Cut. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the plot rundown. Did you have any other? No, I, other than the format. It is important to point out that the the mm-hmm. format, uh, the presentation of this movie is done through a series of flashbacks. So there is a linear narrative, but we have these episodes where we bounce back and forth between the recent past, like 10 years, I believe, is, is the time. That was one issue was like what, reading the comic book. It's not clear oh, for, when you're yeah. reading, when you're going through it because you're just like what's happening now this is confusing so reading it several times you start to pick up on it but there are moments when i was watching this i'm like oh we're still in the past i thought we moved forward like that we spend like a significant amount of time bouncing back but staying back there yeah we spend a sustained like multiple scenes actually yeah like, we we go to multiple locations over the course of a single flashback such that it's like i don't, I don't know if this was the best way to present this but but you're you're absolutely right like I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that would look like in comic book form because the character models bruce wayne has a different haircut and he dresses like a jerk when he's young but well, at least dra- with, with, with the chris nolan movie and then batman begins for oh, sure oh, <laughs> that haircut that dude. fucking floppy haircut oh man oh god no one should have no one should have that haircut. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Christian Bale's like his look of sorrow and pain is genuine. <laughs> he's very like he's he's a handsome dude, but when his hair is up, he's less punchable. With that haircut, you want to punch him. Mm, and I mean, he gets slapped a couple of times in that scene. So oh. yeah, he, I'm sure she, she was like, "Can we do that again?" Like, <laughs> can we do that? <laughs> like Chris. his haircut's really fucking stupid. <laughs> it's like he has it coming. <laughs> And I'm not going to be back for the sequel, so I got to get it all out now. By the way, Tom knows that you based your character on American Psycho off of him. You know, it's funny actually. The the commercials for American Psycho when when they were airing on television, I remember thinking that was Tom Cruise we- <laughs> wearing like facial prosthetics. Like 100%. I thought that was Tom Cruise with some goofy makeup on. What's strange is the guy that does the impression of Tom Cruise that that, that face that he actually looks like Christian Bale. Oh, the actor actually looks like Christian. He's, oh. in, he's in Mad Men for one episode, but yeah, oh. he he actually sounds in in Mad Men. I'm like, he even sounds like Tom Cruise, but he very much sounds like Tom Cruise. Okay, yeah, but but yeah, um, the comic, like I said, the character models for the for the a, the aged versions of mm-hmm. Andrea and Bruce are too similar to the point. Very that much, I could see it being troubling. The movie, however, has the benefit of having. Sequences to to break up the flashbacks and whatnot. So the presentation is very easy to follow in the film version, but I could totally see it being a problem in the comic. Um, but yeah, so I think that actually goes straight into that's that's good segue. Is Batman as a character? This Batman. Yeah. Uh, so being as this is a master class and we're talking about the Batman, mm-hmm. um, I think it's only appropriate that we kind of put the magnifying glass, put the microscope to Ooh. the Batman himself, the Bat. Uh, so in both the animated series, this film, and even to this very fucking day, uh, the voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne in this film is done by Kevin Conroy, mm-hmm. uh, who, as far as I understand, through interviews that I've seen with the man, um, he was almost 100% a stage actor. Um, and it was only through his connection to Andrea Romano, who also, I think, had a stage, ba- stage managing background, like she went through her Rolodex and she was like, "I know a guy with a cool voice. Oh, he right. only works on the stage." And she gave him a ring, and uh, 
apparently he had like a limited demo reel in the form of some like radio advertisements he'd done imagine that mm. batman selling you toothpaste on the radio i was like when i heard his voice again watching the animated series i'm watching this movie i'm just like if he was to start talking somewhere but like, that's fucking batman like, <laughs> i mean seriously yeah. you just like pop out of your seat and say, batman that's batman batman, batman. batman. <laughs> batman. <laughs> yeah that would be jim carrey's yes rendition. batman you say <laughs> Batman! <laughs> um, but yes, he absolutely, through and through, to a lot of people, is fucking Batman. Um, but funny enough, like apparently Peter Cullen had a similar story for how he got involved in the voice acting world. Like, like how he got the Optimus Prime gig, apparently, was like his brother said, like, you gotta pay the rent. Can you, like, go to an audition? He's like, ah, there's some audition in the newspaper about, like, a, a car man show. <laughs> Just realized that Tom Cru- both of Tom Cruise's wives have been in Batman movies. Yes. Nicole Kidman and yes, uh, they Katie have. Holmes. And, like, Tom, you're never gonna be a Batman. It's never gonna happen, dude. You've gotta be six <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> I, You know, I, I hate to say it, but he, you do. Yeah. Like, like, Michael Keaton is pushing it. But in his prime, I would watch... I think I would watch Tom if they could if they could make him look taller if they gave him like uh, give him the right boots for it like I would watch him as Batman yeah I mean if they can if they can make Michael Keaton look like a physically domineering presence yeah with the assistance of lifts and clever angles and lights Tom Cruise has got the intensity oh he'd, he'd be gnashing those teeth he's still got it but in his prim in his prime proper yeah, I think that he would have done, done Red that. Red light! Green light! Just <laughs> <laughs> screaming. Oh, man. Batman on the run. Uh-huh. Like, Him just, sprinting? He doesn't need no Batmobile. <laughs> He's got, you got the knife hands. We're saying Bolt watches him sprint like, fuck, that dude's fast. <laughs> <laughs> that little dude can run. That dude can run. <laughs> But in all in all honesty, Hussein Bolt would smoke him, obviously. Uh, obviously. <laughs> I needed to just I just needed to make sure that that was clear. Obviously. But yes, Kevin Conroy does the voice of Batman, and like I said, to this very day, he is still brought into the booth to do voices for the character, largely in like video games and animation mm-hmm. properties. That, yeah. Uh like in the Injustice video game series, the fighting games made by the same people who make Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. uh, Netherrealm Studios. I'm curious when that third one's due out. Should be soon. Because they're definitely going to do it. <laughs> they're definitely going to do it. But um, he also works on some of those direct-to-video DC animated films that you and I don't watch. No. I used to. I don't anymore. I gave up. I was like, eh, these are, these are, these are what they are. Like, they know what they are. They're 40 minutes of punching. It's like, I'm sorry, I need, like, a little bit more, honestly. There, there are some decent ones, but on the whole, most of them are kind of meh. Um, but... Wh- what would you say Conroy's approach to representing Batman and Bruce Wayne is? Like, what do you think of when you think of his Batman? Um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Okay, well, mine uh, would be measured, st- like steady. Um, I, think yes. if, I think of him as being more centered and focused and not, not necessarily warm, but just more slightly more confident in himself than some of the other batmans he's less torn like he's he has a mission and his, his mission is very focused um i get like his confidence he's like i i have to stick to this to this basically don't kill that's kind of his main thing he just that he just has to make sure he doesn't kill and get the job done yeah and a lot of it just it comes down to his approach to things where he his 
his conversations with Alfred, for mm-hmm. instance, they're they're kind of snippy with each other. They're, yeah. They're, like they know each other like the back the backs of their hands. Like they're they're very tight with each other. It's a very warm relationship that's really well represented in this film, as well as the whole TV show. But um, I love the contrast between his Batman and his Bruce Wayne because you can actually hear it in his his vocal performance where he's not dramatically changing his voice, but he has gone on record saying his approach to things was he he has the vocal gift of being able to do the batman voice somewhat more naturally than Mm. the bruce wayne voice and to him that made sense where it's like it's it's no surprise it's kind of like the inverse superman thing where the idea is batman is the true self bruce wayne is the costume so the way he does the vocal performance is he should sound more comfortable with batman because that's how he that's the voice in his own head that's what the that's his natural stance whereas bruce wayne is a facade Mm -hmm. and i love how dopey his fucking bruce wayne is in the show not so much in this movie but in the show he's such a dope like he's like he's a bouncy dope it's it's hilarious he's a hoe runner in this one because he definitely yeah he's running through him dude uh i wish nolan would have had the balls to kind of go with that a bit more because he barely touches on like it's it's so much so that he's actually like winking at you through the camera like this is all for show i'm not really doing this but i think that would add kind of an interesting layer is if he was actually like having to like Okay, it was really nice having a like, nice night. You got to get the fuck out. Like I'm a billionaire and Batman, kind of busy. I I do like that sequence in Batman Begins where he pretends to be drunk and like throws a fit. I I like it because his performance as a drunk isn't all that great, mm-hmm. but in context, it actually makes sense where yeah. Christian Bale is portraying a person who's pro- who's pretending to be drunk, so it does it doesn't have to be good. Dude, you just incepted me. Like, there's so many layers to that. But there's that bit where like. The burning of Wayne Manor, mm-hmm. like, and shortly before that, like, one of one of the head execs, like, says, like, the apple has fallen very far from the tree, Mr. Yeah. Master Bruce, and yeah. it's like, basically, he's like, it, it's it's painful to do what he's doing, but yeah. he's doing it for a very very good reason. But you can you can tell that it's it's done like regretfully. Well, such a big thing is is Batman's uh, his identity being secret. This movie, it's absolutely not a secret. Oh, not even not, a little. Not even close. <laughs> not he, even a little. He nearly gets caught by the cops. His girlfriend knows exactly who he is. And the Joker figures it out pretty quick as well. I don't think he figures out who Batman is. He figures out... Well, he figures out who the girl is, you're right. Yeah, he yeah. figures out who is not Batman <laughs> very quickly. That's true, yes. But, it, yeah, like the, the secret identity thing is just tossed right out the fucking window for this movie. And honestly, I don't even think the Joker would do anything with that information. Dynamite's cheap. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, um, Batman in, in the animated series and, by extension, this film is often, like... He's like ultra competent, although in this one, I think they eased up on that quite a bit because it it would betray the point of the narrative. Like Mm -hmm. this, this is a Batman who's in a vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. Like this is a Batman who's put on his heels and should not have all the answers quickly. This is a Batman who should be put in a, I don't know, an uncomfortable position. And it's kind of interesting because Kevin Conroy as an actor gets to explore some some aspects of the character that he didn't get to do all the time on the show because as kyle was asking like in regards to the chronology of the movie and like 
in regards to the television show. Like, this movie takes place, like, well into Batman's career and whatnot, but a good half of the narrative takes place ten years prior to that. Whereas the animated series seems to be, like, Batman definitely, like, a couple years into his into his career, for sure. So, like, all the... His rogues gallery is largely, like, crystallized, like, for the majority of the TV show. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas this movie, because of the flashbacks and whatnot, it's, like, he's dealing with, like, ghosts of the past and whatnot that put him on his heels. So it's interesting, like, hearing him get to be more vulnerable and actually do like explore the pathos of 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 like the guilt aspect of of wanting to escape from batman wanting to grow beyond it um stuff that wasn't always explored on the show it was like there was i think there was a scarecrow episode where he has a hallucination of his parents like walking into a tunnel and then like he witnesses them getting shot by a giant fucking revolver (laughs) it's pretty intense for a little kid like if you're a little kid when you saw it and remember, I was like six when I saw this fucking movie. <laughs> this movie's fucking terrifying. It is spooky. Um, but do you want to move on to like the, the actual design of the character? Yeah, this is not my favorite. I mean, I like the build of Batman. I've always liked the the big brawny, uh, you know, uh, square jaw, almost like the same build as Superman, basically. Yeah. Um, I've always liked that build for Batman. I mean, that's kind of what I always pictured. But then again, you've got Michael Keaton, uh, Val Kilmer. Those are not that George Clooney. That we haven't we haven't gotten a barrel chested Batman. Ben Affleck was the closest. He made himself barrel chested for that. Well, the costume did a lot of the work too, and the yeah. costume always does yeah. in live action. But the the rendition of of uh, Ben Affleck in on, in live action uh, in Batman versus Superman Justice League that that model that silhouette is very directly inspired by Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Mm. Wherein I've I've often described that Batman as a shaved gorilla wearing a bat suit because <laughs> because he is beefy like he's chunky <laughs> like, like he is stout he's wide <laughs> yeah where his arms are the same size as his thighs basically yeah and and in the animated series the first time they portrayed that version in animation he was voiced by Michael fucking Ironside oh. and it fit <laughs> like really well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my favorite, still to this day, I think my favorite bat suit is the Michael Keaton with the yellow, even though it's not very tactical, uh, but I still, that's my favorite of the Batman costumes. This is the, I think it's just black and gray, I definitely have this toy, but I think it's just a black bat. Uh, um, no, actually, it maintains the shield. Um, oh, yeah, you're right, it does. Yeah. I guess um, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, the, the yellow shield um, emblem in a, in the center of his chest was a kind of... A, kind of a hallmark of this era mm-hmm. like the tim burton movie was largely the catalyst for like oh, yeah. inspiring that visual like making that a chief visual motif for the character the difference is is that he has a black cape and uh like gloves and stuff but his actual suit itself like the rest of it is gray yeah and so we have the the yellow chest emblem with the bat we have the yellow utility belt and then the rest of it is largely monochrome with uh, blue highlights for the shading on the cape um that i've always think i've always thought that was a really interesting detail with uh, the comic art of batman mm. is that for over the years like until like the past several decades so like up until around this time even during the 90s uh blue was often used as batman's coloration just because from a printing and shading standpoint it was probably just more cost effective honestly but yeah batman was often drawn blue 
Um, but yeah, he's gray, black, blue. Um, and then the, the eyes, the mm-hmm. really important thing, his yes. eyes are just pure white. white yeah. Um, and we talked about this before when we talked about um, the Joel Schumacher and the Zack Snyder era, or, or rather the Christopher Nolan era. Uh, so the Schumacher one is, I think, the first time I remember eye, sh- eye shields mm-hmm. uh, being represented in the live action series. And that came in the form of like the Val Kilmer, the sonar suit that he has at the very end of the movie mm-hmm. and only at the very end of the movie because we got to sell action figures. We got to variants any like any nerd out there knows that word prince money variants <laughs> one of the variants of the arnold schwarzenegger uh, mr freeze from batman and robin there you go did you have the one with the the wings or it's, the one with the, the car it's or? the see-through abs ah okay yeah. okay <laughs> we had that we had that does one of our favorite toys yeah, yeah. merchandising it's all about variants <laughs> um but beyond that the, the i think the next time we had eye shields um, and remember, this is coming from someone who has not seen the Batman as of yet. Um, but the next time I remember eye shields being present was uh, the Dark Knight. Mm. Um, again, with the sonar, yeah. with uh, Lucius Fox uh, feeding the intel to, to Christian Bale's uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the animated series Batman has just pure white eyes, and it's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. That opening sequence when he just narrows his eyes. I say because his because he still like you'll get an eyebrow, like you'll get the eyebrows moving. Oh, he's a bit highly like, expressive. Yeah. Even without pupils or irises. It's it's incredible actually. Yeah. Like that they're able to get so much emotion out of not even having all of the equipment available to them. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's a it's a highly versatile design such that it's not heavily altered to this day, honestly. Mm. Like, they, they still reference it to this day in, in the world of animation for the most part. I mean, they changed the proportions, they changed the coloration, but it largely stems from Bruce Timm's original designs from this era. Um, and simplicity is the key. Like, across the board, simplicity was one of the core design elements of the whole animated series. It's like, let's take this and then reduce the number of lines in it both to save some money because animation is hard and it takes a lot of time which translates to money um but also just for the iconography aspect of things where it's just like it's so much if you if you can convey x amount of character via as few lines as possible you have done your job right um and so many of the character designs in the whole animated series are absolutely fantastic but the the batman design is just pure classic and it's also like throwback as well um I love the Mr. Freeze character design. I think it's probably my favorite character design from the animated series. Yeah, so that would be the one that was done by Mike Mignola, mm-hmm. who uh, who gave us Hellboy. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, the the comic Hellboy. Yeah, um, I figured. Yeah, yeah. Guillermo del Toro is a big fan of of his work, and apparently the two of them uh, butt heads over uh, collecting comics. I would really like to do like a ref movie in real life where it's me holding Guillermo del Toro hostage in his own house and just hanging out with him. Uh, just to just to pick his brain, just to hang out. I'll bring I'll I'll bring something, you know. But I'm hanging out with you. <laughs> oh, you better bring a buffet. He, like, he, he looks like he likes to eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, correction. He looks like he he likes to enjoy life. Yes. So you wouldn't want to bore that man because that would just be an injustice. I feel like I'd be very intimidated to talk to him. Like I that, mean, it would be the Chris Farley show. It's like one of those, like, there's a lot of celebrities that if I saw them in real life, I would not talk to them, like, like just because it's rude. But he's one of those that's like, God, I really, really want to talk to him, but I don't think I'm I'm equipped to do that. Tom Waits is one of those, too. I'm like, I have to go talk to him. I'm like, 
but what am I going to talk to him about? Well, also, which Tom Waits are you going to get? <laughs> Is he going to assume a character that you've never met before? Because uh, <laughs> that's highly possible. That's true. <laughs> I bet you Del Toro would give you a big old hug. Yeah, he'd probably give you a hug. I'm like, I love Mimic, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, come here. Yeah. <laughs> he'd probably give you a big old hug. He's just, he seems so fucking pleasant. Yeah, he's like, he, he kind of reminds me of like, he, he and Kevin Smith. Could you imagine being between those two? Guillermo and Kevin Smith at the same time. Oh my god. (laughs) That's too positive in here, guys. Yeah, for real. (laughs) You're talking about Tommy Wiseau movies and talking about how they're massive achievements in the world of cinema. (laughs) Just like, what the fuck is happening right now? Let's be clear, they do, they both have massive achievements in cinema. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. They've made their contributions, for sure. Um, But yeah, uh, the design of the Batman is absolutely fantastic. And as far as, like, gadgets go, it's actually... Very low gadget. It's highly withdrawn. Like, it's it's surprising. And that's actually, like, a a testament to the, I guess, the integrity of the production. One thing about Batman that I've noticed over the years, and they are not giving up on this, his knees are going to be so shot. Like, I'm talking, like, NBA player in their their 60s, like, shot. Yeah, Hulk Hogan... (laughs) <laughs> kneecaps made of broken glass <laughs> walking on broken glass yeah, knees. Just, um, just garbage bags full of broken I, glass we get we get some uh i don't even know what you call them the little the batarang man. batarang batarang come on we get not bangarang bangarang <laughs> not bangarang batarang rufio uh <laughs> we get the grapple you gotta have the grappling hook it's his whip at this point actually um if memory serves the grappling hook was not really was not really in vogue it wasn't really thought of as like a a batman thing like in the in the traditional sense until around the time of the tim burton movie oh really so it was still in this movie like codified it like solidified it who did it the best schumacher i love that was one of my favorite shots is the thing coming through i'm like oh let's see how it how it can it's got a hook in because you know it's 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 a very important tool my favorite is the animated version where it it, it, the the shape of the thing the gunshot noise it makes Mm -hmm. when he it it makes like a laser gun sound in this movie but in the in the show it made like a like a gun noise i appreciate schumacher he would always make sure that we've established that this grappling hook is in place it, yeah. it, it will support the weight of a 215 pound man okay yeah they, they did they did have the i don't know the b b crew come in and shoot some close-ups of some hooks yeah going that, into some great i would say there's some also the secondary unit was not taking some shots on there too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking about the intro ah, 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 I, ah. I am dangerously close to watching batman forever tonight like i'm about to go get some peanut butter m&ms <laughs> And I'm about to go watch Batman Forever. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, I, I love when we do this show. Kyle always finds something he has to run out and go watch right after. I, just, I can't not get it off uh, my brain now. But yeah, as far as gadgets go, we got batarangs, we got grappling hooks, uh, we got uh, a bat bike, a batmobile, and a bat plane. No smoke bomb. No smoke bomb. Somebody no, else. No ninja vanish. Dude, when we get to the other characters, I'm very excited to talk about the other characters, but this phantasm, he could take... Batman could take a lesson from the Phantasm. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's do that then. Okay. So we, we said enough about Batman. <laughs> let's let's gloss over Jim Gordon real quick and Alfred, because honestly, uh, the Jim Gordon gets almost no play in this movie. Alfred, uh, more like, 
he, Alfred's more of a character once Batman, like uh, the 89 Batman came around, but not so much in this movie, but he is more of a character in the show, in the series as well. As Absolutely. much as you can a lot in a 22-minute episode. Yeah, Kyle and I were talking about this before the mics heated up. Uh, Mike. <laughs> like I said, start paying us. You'll get better product, I swear. <laughs> um, we were talking about how uh, Commissioner Gordon, um, funny enough, uh, was not a significant portion of the live action films around this time. Like in the animated series, Commissioner Gordon was in almost every episode. He was yeah. a really important character. In it's the like, comics, very important character. It's also really important to note that a couple of, a, a few very, very, very important Batman comics were published around, like a few years prior to the production of the Tim Burton film. That would be The Killing Joke, um, I was gonna Dark, say, I, Dark Knight Returns. And most importantly, the year year one. I believe. Do you have the Killing Joke? I do. Okay, I believe you let me read it, and I believe Barbara Gordon yeah. is a very important character in that. She gets shot through the front, but it hits her spine, Oof. and she is paralyzed in the comics thereafter. Gotcha. Um, although she got better, yeah, because so. she's a redhead in comics. She's yeah. kind of kind of popular. Kind of popular yeah. <laughs> so, very, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about redheads and nerd, nerdy properties, but redheads always like so, there, there's always a redhead. <laughs> walk with me, Trevor. I've got a theory on this. Okay. 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 So take, take, uh, take, take, just, yeah. Walk with me. <laughs> walk with me like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the vampire movie. Um, so I think what it was is because these were coming around, like these were being created in like the 60s and 70s, I'm assuming. The comics. Yeah. The comics, yeah. Um, who was a sex symbol at that time? Duh. And Margaret. And oh. Margaret was like a strawberry blonde, red haired lady, and she was hot. She's hot as hell, like back in the day. Uh, I think that might have been the inspiration a little bit. Yeah, I don't know what it is. My theory. And, and this is going to be published. Yeah. My theory has always been that redheads are often slight outcasts, as yeah. they are an extreme minority group among white, white people. people. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's put the caveat on that. Yes, yeah. No, but the population of redheaded people is very, very small. It's true. And, and, when, and oftentimes, young people they you know they ostracize the people that are different. So it's only natural that the outcasts and the nerds would kind of fraternize with each other. Yeah, I can so see it's, that. It's very in I'm, my in from my perspective that I have interacted with nerdy circles many times in my lifetime, that's and true. there is oftentimes a red haired a red haired person. Uh, uh, dazed and confused. Uh, that the nerd uh, Goldberg, the other dude, and then Rabisi's sister. Rabisi's sister. Yeah, she is the red haired girl hanging out with the two nerds. Okay, you're her here, folks. Yeah. I think I think Red, I, redheads I, and nerds. I'll take your. I think your theory is better. <laughs> uh, like but yeah. It. Anyway, those comics were published, and long story short, Jim Gordon, Commissioner Gordon, very important character to the Batman mythos. Although in 1993, in live action, and in fact through the entire Schumacher era, uh, Pat Hingle, he's in those movies. Yeah. He's in all four of those earlier Batman films. He, he affects does, the story in no way. He does fuck all, except for ye like yelling a tuxedo, Hold it right there! Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, I, I, don't I don't really like this take on Gordon, because he's too alpha. Like, he's just like, he's like an alpha counterpart to Batman. 
uh, I hate that term, but like, like that's the best way I could use to describe it. I like more of the Gary Oldman where it's like it's a person in power. They have integrity, but they don't have that physical stature, but they still have to get the job done. So they're a little bit bumbly, a little bit nervous, but ultimately going to do the right thing in the end. I do, I do like the new, I do like the new Gordon. I like that actor who plays the new Gordon. Um, I don't know his name off Jeffrey the top. Wright. Is that who it is? Yeah, he also played Felix in the uh, Dan- uh, Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond films. He's fantastic in Westworld, and he is... He's a very good actor. He's great on uh, Boardwalk Empire. Again, you, you got to get on that someday. No, Jeffrey Wright's a very talented oh, actor. So I, as soon as I heard he was cast, I was like, oh, he'll be fine. And actually... <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't even read into it. I was like, yeah, he'll be fine. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, it has to do with the, the line delivery with the voice uh, for, for this Jim Gordon. Uh, Bob Hastings, by the way. Mm. Who, I did some snooping on his filmography last night, and... Uh, largely a voice actor i think he was on mikhail's navy um but highly a prolific voice actor worked for hannah barbera a lot ah. um but funny enough he was on oh um, that bitch <laughs> he was on almost every iteration of the super friends so he had interacted with the world of batman many a time gotcha. so this was like old hat for him but he has a very commanding like almost like military like yeah cadence to his to his line delivery but what's amazing is like all the photos i've seen of him he's clean shaven but he has one of those voices that's like I can hear a I can hear, hear the mustache. I can yeah. hear a bristly mustache. Like I can hear the the voice coming out behind him. Maybe he wore a fake mustache in the booth or something. See, he would be like this kind of character would be better. He's more of like a Skinner, like opposite uh, Scully and um, Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. more of a, like a commanding authority. Like, yeah, no you're, bullshit. You're absolutely right. Yeah. No, the the animated series version of Gordon is very that. He's very that. He's very straight laced. The Gary Oldman interpretation is more akin to, like, he has the benefit of having, like, three different films that take place in three very distinct time periods and mm-hmm. phases of Gotham. Um, his interpretation is is interesting, because he, ta- he takes a different angle every time. It's really impressive, actually. I don't yeah. think he gets enough credit for that. I, he doesn't get enough credit for a lot of things he does. But, I mean, yeah. yeah. But I think he's probably my favorite Gordon. I would agree. Yeah. I, I think he's honestly aside from the animated series the only real gordon we've gotten in cinema although again have not seen the batman as of yet so maybe jeffrey wright claims the title i don't know i've seen a third of it i'll let you we'll we'll get to that (laughs) yeah i'm so excited to get into that but (laughs) but um you also mentioned alfred Mm -hmm. uh who i'm looking up the voice actor is uh, ephraim zimbalist jr uh my god his voice is incredible this man, yeah. I hope he did audiobooks, because <laughs> good fucking god, his voice is magical. Um, I really like Michael Go. I, I, I've always I, he was such a charming like he had like a fatherly figure. He was a very warm Alfred. Like he a little little bitchy here and there, here and there, <laughs> but like like he he kind of reminded me of my uncle. Like he was just a very warm presence and like him in the first in batman 89 like they're having dinner down there and he's telling old stories about him like it's his dad kind of that's thing. one of my favorite scenes f- featuring alfred in mm-hmm. the live action in that era in the michael gall era mm-hmm. um i i love his interpretation of the character because it it really puts a pin on how long they've been together where it's like the other ones it's like you know like i don't know they, they carry like a slightly more youthful energy to them which is actually appropriate if you're going by like the comics and whatnot. Al- Alfred, depending on who's writing him and depending on how he's being positioned in the story, is kind of like uh, sometimes he's a man of action. Mm. Like there's actually a, a comic, uh, Batman Earth One, where uh, 
he he's his character model he's drawn to look like fucking sam elliott basically oh like he is a man of action <laughs> uh we'll get to we'll get to the andy Zerkus um alfred i didn't see the rest of that movie but he because he's a sprightly like it's still andy Zerkus. the guy's got a lot of energy so i feel like he could be an alfred of action like he yeah. could be doing stuff. that's what i thought when i saw that he was cast also he has a strong relationship with the director like he did all those planet of the apes movies with him do you remember the i'm, I'm sure you do uh the tomb raider movie whenever people are break you remember when laura is like lara she's doing like her her bungee thing and morning the, exercise routine or whatever the, the fuck it's the evening and all those jabronis come in and he hears the gun the butler hears the gunshot and he puts on his bulletproof vest and grabs the <laughs> shotgun like i can see that being that, the new that's alfred. that alfred that's yes. that alfred yes. okay yeah I no, Alfred routinely wields guns uh, in in the Batman comics. Oh well, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah The yeah. fucking Two Face and Joker there. I mean, if they're in the neighborhood, you yeah. got to be prepared. <laughs> it's like we can't all have batarangs, sir. There's <laughs> one thing you can say about the Joker: he is unpredictable. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about the Phantasm? Do you have anything else to say about Alfred? No, he's good. Okay, <laughs> um, the Phantasm, because I want to spend a little more time on the Joker. We'll just kind of knock the Phantasm out. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, when I read the comic, uh, this was a very creepy character, and like he only really has one um, line. It's name your angel of death awaits, and like somebody who grew up in the church uh, and reading this as a kid, I'm like, this thing was fucking terrifying. Um, it, I think they could have done a little bit better with the voice in the movie, in my opinion. Um, I feel like it could have been a little bit more scary. Just yeah. Yeah, the way the narrative is presented, and remember, folks, we're not going to be talking about the plot front to back, but full spoilers, um, Stacy Keach, uh, Mr. Beaumont, yeah. is positioned as like a red herring, mm-hmm. um, and as far as I, as far as my ears told me, Stacy Keach is doing the voice for the Phantasm, but it's modulated yeah. slightly, but it's definitely Stacy Keach. I could fucking hear the hair lip. <laughs> <laughs> that is Mike fucking hammer on the mic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like... I like the vocal performance. The modulation is tasteful. It's not overdone. And I like that they keep the dialogue to a minimum. Yes. Um, a chatterbox phantasm uh, would not fit. <laughs> I feel like, it, if you think about it, like it probably was uh, Mr. Beaumont's voice. She modulated yeah. it. But it's like Arnold and True Lies where he has his friend, the guy at the office. Oh, who needs this shit, Harry? Now take off your shirt. Yeah, take off your shirt. Slowly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I've got to dust that off. That seems problematic. <laughs> we never done that movie. It's like, because it's not available on fucking Blu-ray, Kyle. It is a running fucking gag. That is a Jim Cameron film. That is I, not. I know, Kyle. I know this. I am keenly aware of this. I was I'm, I'm not kidding. A, I was asking a question. It's I am a not Jim kidding. Cameron movie. I am not kidding. This is a running gag in in the physical media world that we somehow. Do not have a Blu-ray of True Lies. He makes movies to be released or re-released on Blu-ray. Yes! Oh. For fuck's sake! <laughs> and it's a good movie, too. My my Blu-ray of Aliens, for some reason, just skips. And I it skips during the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> we all know what that is. Yeah. And I refuse to finish it on my Amazon purchase because I'm like, I'm not going back to On break. principle. On principle, I'm like, I want the Blu-ray, I want the Blu-ray version of this film. That's what I want. Uh, I got it. I fixed it, though. Okay. It got better. Though. It got better. Um, but yeah, uh, the Phantasm, I think, from a design standpoint, is it 
fits in with the aesthetic of all the other characters in the mm-hmm. cast. Like it, ver- it fits in seamlessly with the with the whole rogue gallery. It yeah. fits in with the aesthetic of Gotham as presented in the animated series. Um, but what's incredible about that is that it's an original design. Mm. It was entirely fabricated for this film and this film alone until actually apparently like a year or two ago when the phantasm was apparently integrated into dc comics really as Uh, and andrea beaumont by extension this i mean honestly for live action this would be a great character to throw into live action well what's interesting is that um the design and some elements of the story were actually um borrowed from a not very good comic called batman year two Mm. batman year one is very very good batman year two not as good not so much gotcha. uh, batman holds a he uses a gun in it i don't like that yeah anytime that happens you're, you're, you're in trouble that's partially why i haven't well besides bat like because everyone says it's awful but batman v superman like i'm not watching a, a gun wielding batman get the fuck out of here he, he, he does use an m60 in that movie <laughs> like like straight up just gun 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 like he punishes a dude in that movie Jesus. uh and he also brands people um kills a lot of people in that movie <laughs> but batman, like, batman is he putting up like rambo numbers or close to it i think i'm pretty sure if you google kill count for Wait, batman versus superman you will find a, a youtube video which rambo <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that's an important question Ram- like between Rambo one and two, okay, that's reasonable. Because Rambo one, I think he only kills one guy legitimately. It, it like that that line is like how many people get killed as the numbers go up. It's just yeah, off the charts. Uh, you made me think of Hot Shots Part Two, where they have the kill count running <laughs> and they keep listing names, where it's like RoboCop, Total Recall numbers, most violent film ever made. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this character, the the Phantasm was somewhat inspired by a comic character called the reaper um from batman year two that it's a gaudy stupid design it looks like a red skeletor basically gotcha with a scythe hand which you get in this movie but they changed the color screen the color scheme to be monochromatic and they reduced the number of lines and spikes because 80s stuff. <laughs> well, without a doubt, these new bat the new Batman movies, there will be a trilogy. They will get three movies out of this. There's no question about I it. I think they just announced a sequel yep. at the very least. And then I'm so upset to hear this that uh, even even before the movie came out, they were already talking about a spin-off TV series. Oh. And it's like this is where you're getting into the MCU territory where this is there's a cycle of this happening where yeah. this this I spoke about this with batman the animated series if you put too much product out i'm gonna choke on it yeah and the only the only instinct is to gag on it <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm sorry you gotta purge that shit because yeah. you you will die trying to keep up with all this and if you if you put too much on my plate i'm gonna get upset and i'm gonna walk away well they put penguin catwoman riddler all in the first movie and then I'm assuming the Joker has to come into the second movie. That's like that's like movie law now. The Joker has to Apparently, come in. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Um, but if you're going to throw another character in there, I'm like, I think the fan- the Phantasm would be an interesting one to put maybe in the second or third one. I mean, this movie is the Phantasm of the Joker, so it would be kind of neat if they did that. And you could kind of use this story arc a little bit. Because this is where I kind of learned... I wanted to ask you about this. Um, well, when we get to the Joker, I'll ask you about it uh, whenever we're ready to transition over to the Joker. Okay, well, let's talk about Andrea because okay. that's the other half of the Phantasm. The Phantasm's just the costume. Yeah. 
Um, so Andrea in this in this film is voiced by Dana Delaney. She looks like a redheaded version of Ava Gardner. Like she has the very sharp cat eyes, like Ava Gardner. I kind of see the resemblance, but Dana Delaney smiles. More, yeah, like often. <laughs> and I don't. I, yeah, <laughs> that's the difference I see there. But um, Dana Delaney, really funny trivia factoid. Actually, two back to back. I can do them both at once. Um, Lady from Tombstone. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you beat me to it. Uh, Tombstone came out the exact same day as this film. Oh no, kidding! Yes, December twenty fifth, Christmas. Mm. But like in 1993, she had two movies come out the same fucking day. Pretty bad. And she's playing the same fucking character. Yeah. <laughs> like the like the, the the character is aside from the phantasming, is very very similar. Like mm. her relationship to Bruce Wayne, especially in in their youth, she has that same kind of like slappy in the dick kind of charming quality to her. Yeah. Um. Very similar character, although without the like. I don't know, ruining the marriage thing, the subplot in Tombstone? Well, I think I think that uh, his wife kind of ruined their marriage. She was quite addicted to opium. I know, but it, it's so bizarre to me that that's like presented so casually in that film. Yeah. Where it's like, I know it's an, an old West tale, but at the same time, it's like, dude, your wife's like right there. Literally <laughs> in the same town. Yeah, she's like right there, man. <laughs> like, you're not even trying to cover yeah. it up. Um, but yeah, uh, Dana Delaney also, other trivia factoid, uh, would go on to voice Lois Lane on the Superman animated series oh. in all of its iterations for years to come. So she made her debut in the DC animated world here, but then she would go on to have a very regular gig as Lois Lane, and she killed it. Like She, she was kind of perfect for that role. She has that spunk. Um, and what is it timber or timbre god damn it i don't know this word timbre i think i don't know i think <laughs> it's one of those tricky words that you see it written a lot of places you very seldom hear it spoken i just had a george costanza moment i'm pretty sure he had that i'm pretty sure he did that is it timber or timbre <laughs> i realized that we were in a hotel recently and there was nothing on I'm like all right we're just gonna have to go with seinfeld it's so important that it doesn't matter what seinfeld episode you're jumping into that's one of those tv shows that does not matter if you it doesn't just, Jump. But, most importantly, you have to be there from the very beginning, or oh, you'll have yeah. absolutely no idea what's happening. Well, you, yeah, the, the big payoff at the end won't, it won't have the same punch. But I figured out something that's awful when you're trying to watch Seinfeld, is when you have to stop it halfway through. Oh, fuck that. It's, it's awful. Fuck I'm that. like, what the fuck happened? Like, I gotta know what happened. I, don't, I, I feel like that's a, that's a couple's mandate or something. Where it's <laughs> we just gotta like, finish If it. you're in a relationship, you're gonna have to put up with pausing. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know... Just not cut out with this. This <laughs> is terrible. Do you want to just get upset? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Andrea Beaumont is a very she's she's kind of like a utility character in this. Like I can see why she wasn't integrated into the comics yeah. proper or revisited in the in the show even uh, because she works really really well for driving this narrative. Um, but beyond that. There's there's other you know less efficient ways of exploring Bruce Wayne's past, um, but this for this story like the character makes a lot of sense and is very useful for driving the narrative in that she parallels Bruce Wayne's story and that mm -hmm. she also lost her family and her her style of vigilante justice is a little edgier uh, she goes down a darker path than even he. Um, but I, I actually really enjoy the, the interplay between her and young Bruce Wayne in particular. Um, and the flirtation they both have with escaping their 
mutual trauma and mm-hmm. living a happy life. Like, there's some heavy fucking moments in this movie that are stunningly effective. Yeah. <laughs> like, my favorite is uh, The Graveyard with Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But did you have anything to add about Andrea? No. No, not not really. Um, it is interesting that she turns him into kind of a stalker. Uh, him with the binoculars yeah, that's right i'm the world's greatest detective uh, uh, he, yeah he's just like watching her from a tall building have a date with uh this um uh, councilman who looks like michael corleone like he looks like he, he Al looks like michael corleone when i saw this movie in the theater as a kid i thought he might be the joker and then the yeah. joker shows up and it's like oh well I'm, the joker. I'm an idiot yeah. <laughs> um, but do you know who did the voice for this for the councilman i did not hart bachner ellis from die hard <laughs> I did not realize that that's a good person to have i did not pick up on that andrea romano man if she, you would she is she is an ace voice talent recruiter if you would have told me that beforehand i wouldn't have i would have been able to hear it but i did not piece that together smarm yeah smarm that's what we're looking for for this role. Yeah. And Mr. Hart Bachner, you got it. <laughs> he, he was an executive with a full beard in the 80s. He has Coke in his pocket. <laughs> He's introduced with Coke on his nose. <laughs> Good God. That's a great movie. But he, he actually acquits himself quite well. I, I didn't know he did any voice acting, mm. um, but he does this well quite ably. Um, th- he has one scene in particular where he really has to flex some muscles as an actor one of the best probably the best transition in the whole thing in my opinion yeah yeah okay well we'll get to that when we talk about cool moments can we get to the piece de resistance go for it (laughs) uh yes so of course we we had to get to it and i kind of forgot that he was in it until i started thinking about the comic i'm like oh shit The Joker's in this. I don't remember when it was that somebody pointed it out to me. Uh, I was definitely a kid. Like, did you know that Mark Hamill does the voice of the Joker? Uh, and you can you can definitely hear it. Um, but I think this is my favorite Joker laugh. I think he does my favorite Joker laugh. I don't like this Joker's voice. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a lame thing to admit because everybody agrees. But he basically the joker man yeah. like like he basically like when you read the comics he's basically what you hear mm-hmm. like he, he's that damn good that it's just like he did it about as good as it's gonna be i don't like this joker's voice i mean people always talk about like jack nicholson and heath ledger big shoes to fill and whatnot it's like nah, those i think are the biggest ones like mark hamill's joker is just it, it's amazing how like how much restraint they show mm-hmm. in like holding back like holding him back because yeah. everybody involved in the production was so keenly aware that like as soon as we as soon as we open that door and the joker's in the movie nobody's going to give two fucks about anyone else in this movie it's true yeah because he just it, like jim carrey in batman forever it's just like it, he's he's gonna take over yeah he's just gonna take over this whole fucking thing and i love the characterization of the joker in here so i wanted this is what i wanted to ask you about was Yo. how much of the animated series in this film um reflected comic books at the time and then or how much of this was used as um as inspiration for the film because mr freeze the characterization in the animated series very much parallels arnold schwarzenegger it's the exact same character basically yes um and how the joker comes into play in this film is how he comes in in the dark knight 
is there like the mob go to him to t- like he presents himself to the mob in that movie to take care of a business and this the mob go to him because spoiler alert he was a former mobster yeah um it's difficult to trace the path of the character because it spans 80 plus years <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um in the comics there have been multiple interpretations of the character like ranging from like pure adam west just like goofy nonsense like cesar romero kind of bullshit yeah um to more just like a straight-up gangster who happens to look like a clown um in the comics around this time he was more of a gangster in i think in his in his debut he was just like a he was just kind of that he was just like a clown themed gangster that ran around town shooting people i'd like him more as an anarchist uh like the jared leto they try to have visually he was supposed to be a gangster yeah in execution he's nothing yeah you you uh you enunciated the gangster a little too clearly (laughs) (laughs) that's not what they were going for with that iteration but um yeah uh, around the time in the comics um in 1993 he was mostly just a gangster Uh, I don't know how much precedent there is with him being hired as like a wild card as like an assassin for the mob or something Mm -hmm. um but i will say this much in terms of his origins um the killing joke was mostly it as far as like exploring any time prior to him having the clown visage Mm -hmm. um and even that is it's we see like the concrete events that led to the creation of the character but the the narration is muddled it's like heath ledger's interpretation it's 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 multiple choice basically he's just kind of an enigma he just kind of appears they're like this fucking guy we don't know idea who he is he's just crazy so it's very interesting that this movie actually doesn't offer an origin for the character it just shows an episode in his life 10 years ago Mm -hmm. that i think it's really cool actually the way they integrate him into the past of these characters where it's just like you know 10 years ago he probably had a day job and he was probably doing bad shit mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a line of dialogue he, he purrs <laughs> like, like he cat calls andrea and beyond that oh i love that his next move is to flick a cigarette at bruce wayne that's i was like good, yeah. that's like such good foreshadowing to to what their relationship yeah. will be going down the road but they kind of hint at this movie like he's he is kind of a a wild card like he's just like the mob go to him and they like dump a whole bunch of money and he like i like how he's just like like what like what am i gonna do like i'm not just a someone you hire for this kind of thing like come on he's like okay yeah i'll do that he does but he also takes out everybody else along the way yeah no it i i really love the way they incorporate the character into the story Mm because it doesn't feel artificial at all Mm -mm. because that that audience with him is very similar to like you said with with the heath ledger iteration where it's it's done out of desperation yeah um, they know full well. In fact, like Sal Lester, the character who's offering him the money, is sweating. And also, the Joker is very rough with that old man. He's yeah. shoving him around and stuff. <laughs> and that—that's—that's that's the beautiful part about Mark Hamill's interpretation of the character and the way he's presented in the animated series, and especially in this movie, is that he is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like he is—he carries an air of menace about him, but he's—he's—he's he's, he's all teeth, he's all smiles all the time. But it always feels like he could just snap or just, like, do something awful with, with like, at the drop of a hat. I said I was going to watch Batman forever. I, I'm 100% going to be watching a Batman movie, but <laughs> I think now I'm, it's been long enough. Like, I think I'm going to go back and watch The Dark Knight. Yeah, I, I, I'm 
like, I need it now. I need that Joker. <laughs> I mean, you're in for a, a good time either way. Yeah, it's not about money. It's about sending a message. <laughs> <laughs> I have many favorite lines from that movie. But I'm like, I, I love that. As, as the character, like, just like as a character moment, like, it's not about money. It's about sending a message. <laughs> and that's that's what I get more from this Joker. It's just like, he's trying to cover his own tracks here. Like, he's trying to make sure that he's not going to go to jail because he's a part of this whole big conspiracy, this whole big scheme. Um, but you get that hint. And I can't wait to continue with the animated series to see more of how he pops up. Well, what's fun about the animated series version of the characters that, like Kyle had told me prior to the mics heating up, he is allowed to pretty freely kill people as he pleases. Um, And he also does a lot of things that I don't don't think there's a place for this in the the live action movies because they're so fucking grimdark these days. But um, he does a lot of things purely for laughs. Yeah. Like because it's fucking funny. Yeah. That's it's just, like yes he's a clown of course he would do that because it's fucking funny it doesn't make a lick of sense but that's why it's fun to him and I love I love the character too because it's just like it, he, he's kind of like an Andy Kaufman where it's like I'm here to make myself laugh like I don't care if you get anything out of this I'm here for me and him like the, the whole situation where he just like he just busts out of the glass like he's not trying to take down Batman this is just another day I'm just oh, gonna yeah. I'm just gonna fuck with him and I'm gonna run off and we're gonna do this again no setting up all those traps around the park that took that took hours, man. Like, I, you yeah. think I set this shit up to not set it off? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, we're not going to finish the fight here. We're going to go through the whole fucking park. I mean, he <laughs> fucking destroys. Like, the like I felt, very rarely does this happen in cartoons, but I felt the, the menace of the Joker in this movie where he's just like, he's blowing this shit up. And it's a lot of explosions. And even for a cartoon, I'm like, God damn, that's... He had a lot of explosives. He gets to do some stuff in this movie that I I suspect they weren't allowed to do, even even though the censors lightened up on, on the animated series as compared to years prior. Like, they were allowed to show guns fired. They weren't allowed to show people get shot. But they were allowed to show people get punched. They were allowed to show people shoot guns. People could die off screen and stuff like that. But some of the confrontations he has with people in this movie are intense to a level that I don't think would have been allowed by the censors. Like, like when he gets up in people's faces and, like, off-screen does horrible things to them, like, it's mm-hmm. pretty fucking gnarly, man. Yeah. But, like I said, some of the, like, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with Andy Kaufman, like, the Kaufman-esque humor, where it's like, it's funny to him. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about you. Like yeah. you, even if you're dead after the performance, that's what makes it funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, but, but, case in point, when he's fighting Andrea, and he's reaching for a weapon, mm-hmm. there's a there's a cleaver. He picks the sauce. He, he picks up the balloon. Yeah, <laughs> because it's funny. And you get, <laughs> and you get that, that. I think you get like one moment of the Heath Ledger Joker where I think it's during the chase where something explodes and he just starts laughing like he's just having a good time. Yeah, while we're talking about cool Joker shit because it's turning into Chris, <laughs> it's turning into the Chris Farley fucking show. Yeah. Um, there's a really cool moment that. Um, this is what I've always liked about the Jack Nicholson Joker, mm-hmm. and also the Mark Hamill Joker, who, by the way, uh, Tim Curry initially was supposed to do the voice. Mm. Um, he, in fact, recorded for, I think, four episodes before he was excused from the project, and Mark Hamill was hastily called in to replace him. Yeah. In fact, the animation was done. Like He had to match the timing of the lip flaps because it was already done. Mm. I mean, they, I... they excused Tim Curry because... Um, this is a cartoon that maybe is too old for you, but I remember this. It was a Peter Pan and the Pirates. 
Oh, that's you're gonna say the wild thornberries. Um, he voiced Captain Hook. Oh, okay. Um, and he's a prolific voice actor. He's done many other things. They felt he would be too familiar, and he was. It's the fucking Joker. He's gonna be on the show very, very regularly. Mm-hmm. We need a dis, like a very distinct voice. Tim Curry is a time and place kind of actor. He's very much there's a certain time to use him, and I think it was the right call. I'm not positive that I he was the right choice. I really like Mark Hamill as the voice actor for him. I would have been excited to hear him do a guest slot. Like okay. like they did that very frequently where they'd have guest voice actors come in for like one one and dones. Like one of my favorites from Superman, they got Miguel Ferrer. Oh really? They got Miguel, Miguel. Ferrer to be the weather wizard. Mm. Who is like the lamest fucking villain you could imagine, but he's voiced by Miguel fucking Ferrer, so it's oh, like, God. wow, that weather wizard was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> uh, he's the more memorable person from Twin Peaks besides Kyle McLaughlin, but yeah. Uh, Miguel Ferrer, like, God rest his soul. Yes. Miss that guy. He, he, he brought light to everything he was involved in. He has some good moments in Traffic. I can't wait to have you watch Traffic. I'm so excited to revisit that movie. <laughs> uh, war. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, but the moment I want to spotlight, um, and I, I cited this as being like an example of like a Jack Nicholson or a Mark Hamill style Joker. There's that moment when uh, Sal Valester is getting desperate. Mm-hmm. So he's already poured out the five million dollars, and he's like, "You yeah. got to help me, buddy. Like, my hands are dirty. Yours are even dirtier." Because as we'll later learn in the narrative, the Joker, proto Joker before the makeup and stuff, killed Andrea's father. Yeah. Um. So he he's telling him you did wrong and you got mistakes you got to make up for and he's got the joker by the collar and this is an old man who's like on an oxygen tank and stuff and there's that one shot of the joker where his face like he gets pissed yeah and even the background turns like bright red and he gets this close to fucking flipping out and just twisting this old man's head around Mm -hmm. but then he turns it into a joke he laughs it off but we get that close-up of him where it's like he, he cut through he cut through like all the bullshit and got to his core. So it's like, yeah, there's there's a gangster in there. Like like I love that with Jack Nicholson's Joker too, where there's before the You wanna get nuts? Yeah. <laughs> like there's that moment where he's telling him about himself and he, you can see the he's, wheels turning where he's like Yeah, yeah. like uh, <laughs> it's like you mm. <laughs> it's like you gotta die. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you never see the Joker really lose his composure, mm-hmm. uh, and we get it. Well, because like, he, it never seems that he has composure to lose. Exactly. But then when you're reminded that he, there is a little bit of a facade there. It's like, oh shit! Like you get one break in the Dark Knight, but it's off screen when he's yelling at the dude. Um, you do the get camera. the moment when he's looking out at the boats, when they don't blow up. A little and bit. He, yeah. he frowns a little bit. Yeah. It's like it's a private moment. Only he saw it. Maybe Batman saw it, but it's just like a couple frames. And it's it's humanizing. I, I like it. Some people like the you know pure anarchist, like complete batshit crazy Joker. I personally I like the one that's like he's playing a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like he he has a little bit of bullshit in him. That's my take. But yeah. anyway, we should probably move on. Uh, yeah, the music. Oh. I know you had more to say about the Holy music. Fuck. Um, I was for sure, I'm like, this has got to be Danny Elfman who's doing the music for this, but um, close, and not quite Danny Elfman. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the score for this was done by Shirley Walker, um, who is a, she's also passed away, goddamn. Yeah. Um, very unfortunate, especially considering how few lady composers there are mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Um, she worked with Danny Elfman extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout most of his career which explains why the sound is similar also probably producer mandated given that the entire 
catalyst for the production was the success of the Tim Burton films, which were scored by Danny Elfman. So I'm sure there was like some sort of mandate to keep it stylistically somewhat in line with that which came before. You can Ooh. see that as evidenced by the character design for the Penguin in the animated series. She's got like big hitters in her top four. Dick Tracy, Escape from L.A., I believe, Darkman, and True Lies. Yeah, I don't know if her name is attached as chief composer for any of those. Orchestra, I guess was what? Orchestrator. Orchestrator. I've never used that yeah, word. Yeah, so she was involved in the composition and the orchestration, but um, I don't think if you see like the front credits for those movies, her name will be listed. Gotcha. Which is unfortunate. But point is, she did phenomenal work. Um, and also her scores for the TV series were did borrow some cues from the Danny Elfman films. Some, very little. Um, but this film, as far as I understand, is all original composition. And Kyle, I actually meant to send you like a, a playlist prior to recording this. I apologize. Um, I was going to ask you, and I'm probably going to ask this every time we talk about Batman, a favorite Batman theme. Um, do you have one, or can you can you think of like a, a top two or three? Um, well, I mean, it's hard not to hear the Batman Returns soundtrack, but... Um... I don't know. Like, um, what do you mean by theme exactly? Like, are we talking like opening credits? Are we talking about him doing stuff? Mm, I wouldn't say opening credits because Christopher Nolan doesn't do opening credits. <laughs> um, but Batman has a theme, like a, a core theme for most of his movies. I mean, he does have multiple themes, but like usually there's there's like a core one, like Batman and Batman Returns is da 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 da. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Um, and then uh, this one is da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, and then like Batman Forever is like more of a march it's like that's the one that's my favorite one I think that's why Forever kind of sticks in my head a bit more because I, I mean that's your Batman I can, that's, that's, like, as, yeah. when you were a kid that was that your was Batman and when I hear it, I know exactly what movie it is immediately, yeah. Yeah, and that was reiterated in Batman and Robin as well, both of which were done by Elliot Goldenthal. I think it's a tie, because going back and listening to the theme song for um, the movie, like, I don't remember what it's for this movie, but the animated series. I, we, I was talking to you, I think, before it started, but, um, like, I'd forgotten about the opening credits, and as soon as it kicked in, I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot. Well, this is like an amped-up version of the animated series theme, because it's the same melody, it's the same composition, but they brought an orchestra, but they got they brought a choir into it. Also, the orchestra was a byproduct of the Spielberg era of mm. Warner Brothers animation. They didn't have that before. Um, they would just do incidental music and just, like, work it in as, like, context-sensitive music, but... When they got that orchestra, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to make Batman fucking music now. Um, initially, I, th I think they brought it on for Tiny Toons. But for me, um, I was telling Kyle this before we started recording. Like, I very seldom throw the word perfect around, but oof, uh, Shirley Walker's Batman animated series theme That's pretty incredible. very nearly is. Yeah. Like, like, it is absolutely incredible. Because yeah. it, it it brings all the appropriate emotions to the fore. Mm -hmm. We're... It has an element of sadness, gloom. Like it, it has, uh, and guilt is actually one of the core themes of this movie. So it makes it doubly appropriate. Where uh, some of the other, like the the Golden Thal one, 
like I said, it has almost like a march quality to it. It's much more triumphant. Yeah, I was gonna say because it's a much more campy take exactly. on Batman. Yeah, yeah. It, it's brighter. It's, it's fun. More, it, yeah, it's yeah. it's bouncier. It's more triumphant. Whereas hers is like, you can imagine it both as the opening for the for the show, but you can also imagine it as the final shot of every episode where Batman has to go back to being Batman. Yeah. And it, most of those episodes have downer endings, honestly. Yeah. A lot of them are like a, a, a villain being confront like being captured or being confronted with, with a part of themselves that they don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just close to the credits, but you can hear that. It's, it's so beautiful. But then if you up the, if you up the tempo a little bit, it turns into like, like the closing shot of this film. Mm-hmm. where it's like him swinging into action where it's it can be both it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> i have a very busy next couple of weeks but tonight is mostly going to be when i get home it's mostly gonna be batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah the girlfriend's gonna be like what are you up to batman it's batman it's gonna be batman forever the dark knight and then straight into the animated it's like, series it's like hang on i thought you were doing that yesterday it's, it's still batman we're, bat- we're, we're batmaning right now <laughs> it's, it's batman all month long no. but yeah i it, i i can't say much more than mm-hmm basically perfect uh the score for this film is in, it's done in the style of an animated film which oddly enough makes it less memorable for me because a lot of animated projects because you have absolute complete control over timing of things mm-hmm. um because like the editing process differs from that of like a live action film um a lot of the cues are are like frame context sensitive Mm-hmm. Where, where it, it matches the action so perfectly to the point that it's like it somehow makes it less memorable in my mind it, but, but it goes with it it, 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 it does it, yeah it, it's better experience in the film itself listening to it in isolation is it feels like you're missing something i guess mm. whereas like listening to like a, a john williams score is about as close as you can get to that experience in live action but there's there's a different vibe to it but absolutely great score um very very varied instrumentation i I think i almost picked up a theremin in there for the phantasm (laughs) i'm I'm not kidding i'm pretty sure i heard a theremin when the phantasm shows up unless you can open your mind and learn to play the fucking theremin (laughs) and of course whenever the joker shows up he brings his own sound it's Mm -hmm. he has a theme that is incorporated in the show in every episode it's it's truly wonderful stuff just run out and listen to it you'll you'll have a good time um but yeah the animation i'm not sure what else we could touch on uh, one of the things i i always liked and like dick tracy i love the matte paintings probably my favorite matte paintings in a film i love the city cityscape yeah um, i gotta lend you that blu-ray i need, I need to check that i out. don't know if you've even seen it in hd i have not seen it in hd I've it holds it. up like from a visual standpoint you and i disagree on that film which uh. is fine People, people can have opinions. <laughs> back when Madonna was a smoke show. Yeah. yeah back, back. Back when Madonna had that five <laughs> fucking songs for one movie. Hey, I like the... I like the uh, um, what do you call can it? Can we have one action scene that doesn't happen in a montage? Please. When the music's up, it's a lot of fun. It's fine. The the slower ones, no. It's fine. Do we need five of them? I'm gonna love you like no one you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Animation. When do we kill Dick Tracy? Um, yeah, the Gotham cityscapes. I love the Gotham cityscapes in yeah. this. I actually had for a, a long time um, a still from the animated series of Gotham as my phone background. I, 
It's pr- probably my favorite of the cityscapes. Wow. Yeah. That's that's high praise. It's high praise. Um, yeah, I like... I. There's something that, that kind of... The first Nolan movie, you get a sense of Gotham. Like, it's gritty. And it's... I mean, there's like a CGI, like, slum area that makes it... You know, it's a, miniature. Miniature, sorry. My bad. Um... <laughs> Uh, but you get a sense of like Gotham is dirty and gritty. But the other two movies, it's like we're in Chicago or fucking in New York. New York. Yeah, it's just like it's not there anymore. You've lost it. Like you, you kind of lost that grittiness of Gotham. In this, Gotham is always dark. Like he's never. It's never really like daytime in Gotham. Um, but like the Schumacher movies, even when it, like in the in Batman Forever, when it's daytime in Gotham, it feels like Gotham in those movies. Um, yeah, I, I love the cityscapes in this. Yeah, the Schumacher films are highly claustrophobic, like e- even even outdoors, like like there's like forests of, of buildings and like giant statues crammed in there. Like it doesn't it makes no sense from a city planning standpoint. Yeah, but, but yeah, but that's what I've always pictured as Gotham. It's just people living on top of each other uncomfortably. Well, Kyle's a fan of Blade Runner. Yeah, I, I, I was literally thinking of Blade Runner. I'm like, that's why one of the reasons I like Blade Runner too is because of that. Yeah, and also I pointed out that. Uh, the same animation studio that worked on Akira also worked on the animated series, um, and some of the cityscapes bear some resemblance. Did, wasn't a huge fan of Akira, just because I'm not big on anime, but the cityscapes are second to none. They're... Did, yeah, no, you can't... If I took nothing else from that film, I took that. Somebody painted all of those windows, I Kyle. I know. All of those windows. I watched it, I'm like, holy shit. If I was going to, I would probably get a, a Pete, like a still of that. I would, I'd probably frame that. Yeah. It's really yeah, great. Yeah. Neo Tokyo is a, it's a, it's a vibe, yeah. as the kids say. Um, yeah, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, as I said, uh, our two directors for this film, Eric Radomski, um, I believe was largely in term, like in charge of the concept art for the landscape for the backgrounds mm. um and i'm sure you've heard this it's been said countless times in interviews and whatnot the the style of animation used for doing the background cells was um they used black paper and painted on top of the black surface Ooh. which was a very economical way of doing that because yeah. it's like you said gotham dark it's supposed it, to be dark it's already supposed to be dark therefore your job should be paint, to paint in the light mm which should be less than the dark. Yeah. Um, so it was a really brilliant idea. It was a very simple idea, but works out beautifully. Um, but in terms of like the, the color the, the, the color scheme, it's, it's really remarkable. It's so simple. It, it like, it's one of those things your brain picks up on it even if your eyes don't, where like there, there's like a, almost like a, an amber or a red gradient to the sky mm-hmm. like in most of the shots. Where it's like that's completely unnatural, but this is the world of animation. It doesn't yeah. need to make any sort of sense. But from like a color highlighting standpoint, like if you if you put gray and blue figures in front of like a blasted red sky, they're gonna stand out beautifully. Yeah. Um, it results in some amazing shots. Um, and also just the the architecture, the design of Gotham. Bruce Tim, I think, coined the term dark deco, mm. um, as in art deco, but yeah. dark because 90s uh, <laughs> edgy because 90s um and that's the approach to the, uh, not only the architecture but also the costuming and the technology um that's that's one of the really interesting parts of the design for the batman animated series is that everything has a retro futuristic vibe to it where there's a lot of anachronisms where it's like 
hang on, these cars look like they're from, they look like you have to wind them up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but people are using like phones and the TVs are black and white though. Yeah. Um, and the technology doesn't add up, but it results in this world that feels like it's the, the aesthetic has never evolved past the forties though. Mm -hmm. The technology has somehow it's really cool stuff. Um, but also, uh, was it the cabinet of Dr. Caligari was cited as a reference for some of the shading techniques and some okay. of the shadows cast in, in a lot of the shots, both for the film and the series. You can definitely see the influence, a lot of jagged edges. Well, I think, uh, I think uh, Tim Burton might also have uh, a bit to do with that as well. <laughs> hey, Bruce, <laughs> I have an idea. You want to watch this German movie with me? Have you heard of German Expressionism? Hey, Helena, you want to come watch some German Expressionist movies with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he might, he, he might be because that, I mean, if you go back and watch Bat... Go back and watch a couple of German Expressionism films. Go back and watch Batman Returns. You're like, ah. For fuck's sake, Christopher Walken is named Max Shrek. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I haven't been to film school. I know a thing or two about a thing or two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shit. Um. Um, but uh, I did want to point out the animation. Um, this is a holy shit, by the way. The production cycle for this film, which was not intended for theaters, by the way. Mm. Um, apparently, I, I haven't researched the timeline. I've researched a lot, but not this precisely. From what I understand, Warner Brothers was looking at the calendar and seeing that Disney, their, their chief competition in the realm of animation, of children's entertainment, was prepping the release of Aladdin kind of a big fucking deal yeah um and i think also nightmare before christmas Oof. involving their boy tim yeah <laughs> he didn't direct that film he did not direct that film yeah his name's all over it he did not direct that film. Not direct that's it. a henry Selleck production mm -hmm. uh, let's get it right um so because of that because of those pending juggernauts those impending juggernauts on the horizon warner brothers was like hey we got a batman movie that won't be out for another year. Let's put out a Batman animated movie right fucking now, so yeah. we can beat Disney to the punch at the at the ticket booth. Yeah. Um. So all the people doing the animation were like, "A what?" <laughs> <laughs> like, because they didn't even know they were doing an animated film. They thought they were doing a direct video film, mm. which are often produced on much lower budgets and usually have shorter run times as well. Yeah. Um. So they they had to step on the gas, and the production cycle for this fucking film, Kyle. Eight months. Eight months. Eight months. Right, right pre-production to, like, the entire production cycle. Eight months. I want to know, I can't remember how long it took him to do uh, Toy Story. Oh, uh, that was probably years. Years. Yeah. The first Toy Story. Like, I, it's generally, it's normal to, to spend two years on an animated film. It's, it's normal. Toy Story, I'm sure, even more than that, just because they were pioneering fucking technology yeah. during that. Well, also, I think they lost yeah, the footage. I was, say, was that the one they, they had it done? They lost the footage yeah. and they had to do it they again. They lost the fucking movie. Uh, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, eight fucking months that's to make an animated film, to make a feature-length animated film. That is insane. Yeah. Some people overseas probably got carpal tunnel. Yeah. Like in South Korea, Japan... That one random Spanish company. I'm sure all those people got carpal tunnel. Well, that's the American way. Is, uh, we need it faster, but it can't be done. 
do it. Like, oh, I didn't say better. I just said faster. Faster. <laughs> Get it done. I mean, that's how we won World War Two. Goddamn it. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did want to point out that I, I, I can't say this enough. Um, the same animation company that worked on Akira worked on this film and there is a shot in this fucking movie that is directly lifted from the movie it's a, it's a reference it's it's a loving reference where there's a moment in akira where uh, kaneda the main character is being atop- he's being attacked by some bikers and he like kicks off of like the the front tire of it and then kicks the dude the driver in the fucking face mm. and it's this this profile shot that's glorious in slow motion um in this, we get that, but with Bruce Wayne uh, kicking off the front tire and punching a dude in the fucking face. It's like the same concept, the same framing. It's like they knew what they were doing. It's yeah. hilarious. I'm pretty sure it was done by the same people, just much sloppier and cheaper. Yeah. Because one thing we haven't been talking about is because the movie's good. Like, long story short, this movie's pretty fucking good. Yeah. It's terrific. Especially from a narrative standpoint. Animation quality not the best not the best <laughs> it, it is it is a rushed production it's not a huge it's not punching much higher above the weight of the animated series quality it does have its moments of fluidity where it it does seem crisper than it would be on the tv show but the tv show could be pretty fucking handsome depending on the episode oh, that's <laughs> like true. that first episode the pilot with man bat Ooh, that's bad it, it has moments though like during the transformation sequence and stuff it's pretty fucking slick mm-hmm. like Depending on who, which studio is working, if it's the A team or the B team, sometimes that show could look pretty fucking handsome. The the first Mister Freeze episode is great. Yeah, Heart it, of Heart of Ice. Heart of Ice. That yes. was the that was the episode that won them. I think the first Emmy in American animation history. Good for them. Could be wrong on that, but they they won an Emmy for that episode. It's a well rounded episode. Like the story is really good. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. No, I mean, as, as I was telling you before, like without that episode mr freeze would not have been in batman and robin and that character would not have any relevance in the comics or in animation because they engineered that character from the ground up like they they created him anew Mm -hmm. just just in that one 20 minute script um we've touched on the director for the most part um and we've touched on like this thing having like real stakes like the joker's killing people in this the phantasm's killing people in this um which I was surprised, like watching him, like oh my god, I'm like this is a cartoon, nobody's gonna die. I'm like holy shit, you just crushed a dude with a tombstone. Like, that was the scene where I uh, put my head in my hands oh. as a as a six year old boy. Um, that was Chucky, <laughs> no buzz, buzz. The the smoky the smoky guy Sal uh, Sal Abe Vigoda by the way Abe Vigoda yeah his <laughs> his death. Like him, like once he's once he's dead, I'm like that's pretty fucking scary, like for a kid to see. Yeah, he gets the gnarly Joker toxin mm-hmm. off screen, but but you know you do see the grim results of it, and mm-hmm. he has that rictus grin, and he is very dead. He's very dead. Yeah, he is completely motionless. It's it's like it's unambiguously dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, Avogoda was him, and I will point out the Chucky, uh, the first gangster, that the one that drives off the. By the way, I was. That, that first kill for the Phantasm, which the Phantasm very seldom, like, puts hands on people to kill them. Yeah. Oh. She, she just kind of shows up, and then they, they off themselves, and she's like, oh, it's done. It's done. <laughs> it got done. Whatever. <laughs> I said faster, not better. Um, Chucky is voiced by uh, Dick Miller, um, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. That Guy yeah. Dick Miller. I, I need to watch that documentary. It's, it's called That Guy Dick Miller, I think. 
because that's his reputation in Hollywood or was his reputation because he's in the, the damnedest of places he's the garbage man of the burbs I think that's probably my favorite hey that guy I love him uh, Mr. Futterman from the Gremlins movies he's great he's I love Dick Miller the pawn shop guy he's like hey you can't do that like, <laughs> and I believe like one of his earlier roles was uh, Little Shop of Horrors the original the Roger Corman oh, okay. one. Um, he's great um, I forget if it's called like Bucket of Blood I think I think he was in that as well. It's a it's a movie about a person like making art out of like dead people or something. Well, oh. <laughs> it's from like the fifties. I, I watched it with some friends back in the day. But um, yeah, Dick Miller voices Chucky, <laughs> Chucky Soul. Um, but the way he the way he goes out, I couldn't help but have a chuckle because he's trying to run over the phantasm who has just showed up and nobody nobody has any clue what the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. They all keep thinking it's Batman because the silhouette kind of matches and. How many fucking people in Gotham wear capes? Yeah. Probably a lot, honestly, but but none of the bad guys do. Um, Chucky tries to run him over and like drives off this like elevated parking garage across into the other building, mm. and it's implied that he's dead. Like yeah. like they go to the grave site later, so he didn't survive that. But like as I was watching that, I was like, oh, Vin Diesel does that like every fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what what's the big deal? He should be fine. <laughs> but yeah, I think that kind of brings us to kind of the wrap up but the uh memorable moments and the set pieces you kind of uh, oh I, I got that kind of rolling didn't yeah. I? <laughs> um i was gonna say one of my the uh, the transition that i really liked was when um the joker is with uh, the councilman and he the joker starts laughing with the councilman and as he's laughing we transition to the councilman in an insane asylum he's the one laughing and i'm not sure who like how it transitions i'm not sure who's laughing when i thought that was kind of interesting because it's definitely mark hamill who starts but then i believe it is the actor i think it's ellis actually doing the laughing in the uh, in the hospital <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no that that is handled really really well because as i said this is supposed to be children's entertainment so we can't have like explicit violence on screen you can have teeth get kicked out but yeah. we can't have people die or get choked out but um he gives him the joker toxin mm-hmm. and then we kind of do like a a fade transition to him in the hospital and as kyle would point out it's like the the laughs cross over to the point that's like oh that's not the joker there yeah. anymore but that that shot of the joker looking into his eyes when he has him like he's like oh i love mounting it. him on his desk yeah. and the way he's lit and that maniacal fucking look on his face is that's what I think of when I think of the animated series Joker. Mm. And also, funny detail that I don't I don't think it's especially popular. And this is probably controversial to some degree. I like Hat Joker. You like the Joker with the hat? I like the Joker with the hat mm. and the coat. Like I like hat and coat Joker. I don't like the hat. I like the jo- I like him having a like a long coat. I like kind of the Heath Ledger's Joker. He has that that, that really long coat that he wears. Yeah. Um I like the Joker in the suit. I, I do like the Joker suit, but yeah, I don't like the hat. I, okay, well, like I said, it was probably going to be controversial. I don't think I don't think many people care much for the hat, mm-hmm. like as evidenced by the fact that aside from Jack Nicholson, I don't know that we've had a live action hat Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, I like hat Joker. It might just be because of the comics I grew up on. Like in the nineties, he did sport a hat every once in a while. But he's wearing the hat in that shot, and it's like my favorite shot of him in the whole animated series. So. Mm-hmm is what it is <laughs> um, and i think the other memorable moment that i mentioned was also with the joker and that's at the um gotham um, world's fair 
where at the end where he's just everything's exploding everything's just going up in the flames I'm like man this guy is fucking crazy <laughs> well hang on are you talking about like after all the explosives have gone off, gone off and everything when it's the we're going into the, the showdown with all three of them there basically oh, okay. I mean that whole sequence like there's a reason it's the climax of the yeah. movie it's it is the most show-stopping sequence in the whole yeah. movie you can tell a lot of the animation budget went to that because it is smoother than other sequences mm-hmm. Um, well, those explosions look glorious. Yeah. Um, and the choreography of it is really interesting because one thing that I've always appreciated about the animated series Batman is the way they handle violence. Um, it's kind of similar to the comics, actually, where it's like the Batman fighting on screen has, has been an ever-evolving project. I'm mm-hmm. actually curious because I haven't seen the Batman yet. I don't know what it looks like. Uh, in terms of him throwing hands other than that trailer clip where he just like hammer fists the dude into oblivion yeah <laughs> yeah it's like mel gibson <laughs> yeah. but like michael keaton batman was incredibly stiff val mm. kilmer batman a little bit more limber it was the era of the of the roundhouse kick mm. power rangers was on television chuck norris was on television kicks were in fashion yes so our our batman's got to be lithe he's got to be limber um, and then, of course, Christian Bale, Batman, he's got the Casey method, he's throwing elbows and shit. Um, rolling it all the way back to the animated series and the comics, the logic of the character in the comics and in the cartoon, and probably the censors were involved as well, was like, we need to, we can have violence, but we can only have so much. Mm-hmm. Is that he's fucking Batman. Like, like he and Captain America can go toe-to-toe. Like, he's mm-hmm. supposed to represent the peak of human physical capability so when he hits a dude they're supposed to go to sleep yeah like it's not supposed to be combinations it's just like bop done and so in the in the cartoon that's usually how it went you just like hit a dude and they get laid the fuck out and even in this like he hits the joker like a couple times he kicks he up kicks him once and a tooth comes out it's like yeah that's pretty good like that's what i would expect um but yeah, that's the way the violence is presented in the finale, where it's like, it's action-packed, but the number of blows exchanged is lessened, but as a result, each of those blows carries a lot of weight. And even the way the, the even the way Batman sells his injuries, like you said, his knees are probably made of fucking broken glass. Yes, he takes some bumps in this movie that they do they go to great lengths to show there is a cost to every pit he takes like mm-hmm. he he's pretty fucking wrecked in a in more than one sequence in this film mm-hmm. and it's not like we've seen him get like pummeled for 10 fucking minutes it's not like Heath Ledger wailing on him with crowbars and dogs yeah <laughs> i'm just picturing Heath Ledger like swinging dogs around by their tails <laughs> using them as nunchucks he's crazy enough to do it i mean Christian Bale Batman has a weakness to dogs. Like, if you wanted to beat that Batman, you just get a dog cannon. <laughs> like, yeah. just a, a dog cannon. A pneumatic dog cannon. <laughs> just, like, shoot dogs at him. You would take him out. Yeah. <laughs> really, he, he has problems with dogs, man. They fuck him up. Uh, but, yeah, that explosion sequence is pretty great. When Especially how his reaction to all the fire is just, just a cackle. Yeah. He's just like... Whoops! <laughs> didn't plan. Didn't think that through. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, in terms of like memorable moments for me, um, I, I mentioned this briefly. Um, the graveyard when uh, Bruce Wayne as a young man. Mm-hmm. So he's with Andrea at this point, um, but 
he is feeling guilty about. And that's like a chief theme of the narrative is, is his feelings of guilt over wanting to move past his, his pain over the loss of his parents and the vow he made to avenge them. An impossible task, but, but a lifelong task. Um, there's that scene in the graveyard in the rain where he he's talking to their gravestone and they're not replying like that shows a lot of restraint on the part of the filmmakers to not have like a spectral voice like yeah. oh, son you fucked up <laughs> it's, like, it's like no he's just talking to a stone in the rain and and he's so miserable and i think the way he phrases it is like i didn't expect to be happy and he's like it just doesn't hurt as much anymore mm-hmm. and it's like wow that those are like thoughts that batman as a character should always carry with him but they're they are never spoken mm-hmm. like like those are those are things that batman keeps private and to actually have him explore that territory in this film is, is very human and f- so much deeper than so much many other batman films we've had <laughs> yeah i think that kind of comes into the characterization in the dark knight where he's just kind of like hey i'll I'll give this up. Like, they don't really need me anymore. But then, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> she doesn't make it to the end of the film. Actually, then... that's a really good connection. I didn't I didn't put that together. But the Andrea character, who, very similar to to the Maggie Gyllenhaal character. It's yeah. like, it's like yeah, it, 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 it's the the path not taken. Mm-hmm. It's like, that, that was his, his way out. And it, it gets snatched from him. I wonder what would have happened if she hadn't died and she was going to marry Harvey. Like, it would, like, how would that have affected him Batmaning? Mm. <laughs> it would have been different. It would be kind of interesting to have that for a little while. Die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he could get real jealous. Because he's, he's like, cre- she's fucking him. Because <laughs> he does have creep capabilities. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, he'd become stalker man for sure. <laughs> Just like hang around them constantly, <laughs> become supervillain Batman, but but not like grand evil plan supervillain. He'd just like devote all of his billions of dollars of, of Wayne Enterprises funds to, to like jet setting around the globe to ruin their life. Yeah, the next movie would be like the beginning being introduced to Buffalo Bill and the sounds of the lambs. You see the 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 the, the uh, night vision goggles turn on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure he would find a way to be miserable. Yeah, um, because that's that's Bruce Wayne. But I really did love that scene in the graveyard, especially how it just trails off with a please, like a really pathetic, just like please. I did notice that. That is something that I did notice was that line. He's like, I just doesn't. But it's he's just kind of it, losing. It just doesn't hurt as much. Like I'm actually like kind of having a good time, yeah. but but but. There's there's that virus just mm-hmm. that's in his system forever that he can't purge. Yep. Um, and that's actually an interpretation of the character that I think is very fascinating. That different Batman is fueled by many different substances, but in this one, it's the core theme is guilt. Yep. Like it's guilt and the path not taken. And it's interesting that that's it's. I feel like Batman in this film. I can't speak for the animated series as a whole, but in this film, it's like the engine that drives him is compulsion. Mm-hmm. It's like I think Michael Keaton's interpretation kind of followed followed that as well, where where he's like when he's trying to tell Vicky Vale, where it's like you know how an ordinary person like wakes up in the morning and eats breakfast. <laughs> it's like it's like every once in a while, I just you put on this gimp suit 
and, and just hit people. <laughs> like, it just, I just have to. Like, you just don't understand. When I saw the new one, he's mentally ill. <laughs> he's, he's very much mentally ill. Well, that is often a criticism of the character, is that he is horribly unstable <laughs> and is probably not someone to base your life around. And it's a, it's kind of more like you were describing. Like, he's he's almost obsessed with doing this. Like, he can't... It's a well, compulsion. He can't do it. He can't but, not do but it. But see, that, that I think that's the distinction, though. It's like, I think the Mask of the Phantasm Batman, I feel like it. it's not necessarily obsession. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just hardwired in there, where it's wow. like, oh, sun's down. Gotta put on the suit. Here we go. It, it's not even like a chore. It's just like... It's like a schedule. Basically. There's somebody robbing a Radio Shack somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's just like, I'm going out, Alfred. And he's like, oh, okay, Master Bruce. Fucking psycho. We all agree that it is impossible for him to, do, to, to take care of all this stuff. No, of course not. Spider-Man has a better chance because he's got a bird's eye view. He can move quicker. He's got the strength. Yeah. We won't get into that. <laughs> yes, but we don't. You don't want to open that can no. of worms. It's like Nick calls us on the Zoom. He's like, hey, I heard Spider-Man. You're not going to do Spider-Man without me, are you? I told him he had to do something or we were going to do Spider-Man without him. I was like, he's like, I was like, oh, the thing was we were recording the last episode with him. Like, you got to be there on time or Trevor and I are going to review Spider-Man, the, the original one, without you. Wow, that is a threat. Yeah, right. <laughs> Folks home, it's his favorite movie. Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick will be on the Spider-Man episode when we get to it. I mean, that's a masterclass we haven't touched. And that's a property that... I have no real attachment to, but yeah. <laughs> Yours for the small price of creating us a Patreon and, and paying us monthly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think I have too much else to say about the film. Yeah, uh, I. I just have some disparate thoughts. I don't really have a good wrap up. Um, it is interesting that, as I said, we do get to see proto Batman in this film. Something that was brand fucking new for cinema, anyway. Um, him basically operating before he had the costume yeah um this was territory that was well trodden via the comics like and frank miller's batman year one which is often referenced in post schumacher era batman films but seldom prior to that but the the novelty of seeing a ski mask clad bruce wayne running around trying to get it right Mm -hmm. and like going through the process like that was something we would not see in film until batman begins Mm -hmm. Um, but as I said, that was that was commonplace in the comics. That was well known. But it's here for the first time mm-hmm. in 1993. It's just nobody fucking saw this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, that's quite the precedent. Um, we'll point out Bruce Tim does like him some pinup art. So all the ladies look very pinupy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he gets plenty of opportunities to design character models here. He had some fun with Andrea. Mm-hmm. I can tell that much. Um, as well as the floozies at the party, like, yep. like Kyle said, uh, Bruce Wayne in this film is he is running them hoes. Yep, <laughs> like three of them at once. Yeah, four actually, four. Like buddy love, dude. <laughs> <laughs> spandex, all spandex. <laughs> uh, I need to rewatch that movie. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, I think that's about it. I'm sure I missed a lot of shit, but you all know, right. I feel like this was pretty thorough. And I really enjoy this movie. It was really fun to come back to. Very similar to you, actually. It had a very 
like visceral physical reaction to just hearing the first stings the first chords of the opening theme because we do get a proper opening credit sequence mm-hmm. cgi by the way oh, really? in 1993 big fucking deal yeah <laughs> really big fucking deal we get a cgi um like fly through of gotham city which in 1993 that's all you had to do in theory to put asses in seats is put computerized imagery into your film like i'm looking at you lawnmower man looking at you ghost in the machine i was gonna say spawn (laughs) i mean it probably worked on some level i I don't know if that film bombed or was a success but that was what the selling point was was the the edge factor and the cgi in the Mm. trailers oh my god he's got a cape and it's made of computers Um, but yeah, we get that computerized uh, fly-through shot, which was kind of a big fucking deal in 1993, especially. Um, but yeah, the, oh, by the way, uh, I could be wrong on this. I, I read this ages ago. Like, I didn't do this, I didn't research this recently, but I remember reading this a long time ago, that uh, the choir, which is present in this iteration of the Batman theme, and this one only, it wasn't. they didn't use a choir for the animated series version of it, um, I don't think it's Latin that they're singing, because normally they just do that. Um, if memory serves, it's the production crew's names backwards. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And I, I, I seem to recall like their like Bruce Tim's name sticks out a little bit. It's like Mite Ebruke or something. <laughs> it's like, wait, that sounds like Bruce Tim backwards. It's like, holy shit, it is all of their names backwards. I was like, that's really clever. I mean, it sounds absolutely wonderful. Like I, I, I could talk on and on and on about the music in this movie. It's, it's truly amazing. Like it sends chills down your spine, <laughs> and it, it very well may be the, the very best Batman theme if you ask me. Um, it's Danny Elfman and and Shirley Walker neck and neck. Um, but yeah, that's about all I have to say about a uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, as directed by uh, Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim from Warner Brothers Animation and a whole host of outsourced animation houses from across the globe. <laughs> um, tapped out, Kyle? Any closing thoughts? No, nah, I think I'm done. Okay. I got it all. Okay. Well, this has been our uh, first episode of our Masterclass Revisited uh, event month. Uh, next week, as Kyle had said, the plan is to do a examination. I'm not going to say a comprehensive review or a dissection of Matt Reeves' The Batman. It'll be a discussion. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about The Batman. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about The Batman next week. That's the plan anyway. Uh, And then we still got some more housekeeping to do, and then we're probably going to close out the month with some bullshit. Yeah. Uh, So look forward to some Masterclass Revisited uh, episodes for the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime... Uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. You can also find us on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the show is available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Mm-hmm. That being said, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>